Wow. This is going to be like absolutely insane if you guys do not know what is going on. Just sit back and relax as it's going to blow all of your minds as it did when I first read the story. Like this story here is something that is extremely special to me. I first started reading it at probably, you know, like the worst point in my short life that I've had. Sob story, I know, like who actually cares. But there was a hitman involved, so it was on an extreme level that most people probably don't deal with. Anyways, you know, enough of that. I didn't know what I wanted to do, like kind of at this point. But if it wasn't for the utter enjoyment and pure love that I felt while reading this arc, literally everything wouldn't have turned out how it has. So for me, being able to share this arc with you is really special, and I wouldn't have dreamed a few years ago that I would have been able to share one of the greatest arcs in modern manga with you all. And like, I'm being full on serious when I say this is like one of the greatest arcs in modern manga. This is on par with like the International Assassin's arc from Chainsaw Man, and like, it, it's better than a lot of the arcs that I've ever watched, so I don't really know what to compare it to. It's that freaking good. So I can't wait until hopefully this next season that we get to see it in. But anyway, firstly, Previously on Gege Akatami's acid trip visualized, we had the chosen one himself, Satoru Gojo, fall into a deep sleep in which we were shown through his dreams, probably one of the most damn hype backstories of the recent era. Side note though, straight up Gege never misses with these arcs, like I don't know how he does it, but it's just goddamn beautiful. Other mangakas out there spamming training arcs like MHA, but Gege dropping heat always. Anyways, anyways, Gojo was able to overcome the powerhouse himself, Toji Fushiguro, in his second matchup. However, we did lose the Star Plasma Vessel, which has some extremely important effects that are going to affect the modern day throughout the later parts of this arc here. But you know, Rika would have actually been able to survive this incident if she was just using her ultimate defense, Surfshark VPN. And well, you guys know what Surfshark VPN does. It secures your online activity and can protect you from hackers, data theft, and secure your online identity. Now, honestly, up until recently, I thought I'd be the last person to use a VPN as I can always kind of find the shows that I'm looking for on specific websites, if you know what I mean. But after the New Zealand border walls dropped and I escaped the country with all my manga in hand for the first time, I soon realized that those same websites can't even be accessed from different places abroad. I was left utterly confused and in a catatonic state, unable to move or think until they arrived. Surfshark VPN, and with the simple flick of the wrist, I was able to change my location right back to my safe place, where I know all the websites I use work. But that wasn't even the end. I was so weebed up all of a sudden, I started learning formal Japanese straight from the Japanese Netflix page, so that next time I get a strike, I can formally address them with my new cool second language. And you guys can too, by easily downloading Surfshark VPN from the link below, or by chucking in my beautiful code Diavolo, you get 83% off, and three, yes three months free on top of it, and it doesn't even stop there. No matter where you are, whether it be in the house, on the toilet, the fridge, anything, Surfshark VPN supports it all. So stop there, stop watching, go outside, touch some grass, then come back in and download Surfshark VPN. Because if you don't, who knows what might happen to your unprotected device, and especially your family's devices. Couldn't be me, man. But anyway, thank you to Surfshark VPN for sponsoring this video. So continuing, on October the 19th of 2018, Gojo is asleep when Megami, Yuji, and Nobara arrive. Once awoken and after a small greeting, Gojo sends them to Utahime's location. There, she tells them that there are two moles, one of which is actually one of the Jujutsu higher-ups. Since they can't do anything about that presently, their main target is whoever is feeding information to that said higher-up. Nobara asks if the mole is someone from Kyoto, surprising Yuji. As Utahime prepares to reveal to them who it is, elsewhere, Kasumi meets with Mikamaru. She tells him that their notebooks are due today, and he replies that he is going to sleep. 
Back at Mikamaru's alleged hideout, Udahime informs the Tokyo First Years that it has to be Kokichi due to the process of elimination. Using puppet manipulation to steal information wouldn't be difficult for someone like Mikamaru. At the same time, Kikichi prepares for his visitors. However, Yuji bursts down the door to the fake hideout, confirming to them that he's the mole. At his actual hideout, Kikichi meets with Mahito and Ghetto. Okay, you know, quick note weaves, so I'm going to call Suedo Ghetto or Pseudo Ghetto, however you like to say it, just Ghetto from now on so it doesn't get confusing, but just know, it ain't actually Ghetto, so it's easier for me to call him just Ghetto until I can hit that fat reveal on all of you. Anyway, anyway, Kokichi comments about how he had thought that they had forgotten about him, but Ghetto replies that they would never do that since Kikichi knows the consequences of having a curse restriction. As Mahito suggests that they kill Kikichi, since they have all the information they need, Ghetto tells him that they have to heal Kikichi first before they can kill him, due to the terms of the binding vow between them. Mahito begrudgingly uses his idol transfiguration to heal Kikichi, giving him a healthy body for the first time. Mahito remarks that Kikichi should show some enthusiasm, but he replies that that comes after they settle their business. With no more words left to be said, the battle at the dam begins. Kikichi calls an entire army of Mikamarus to his side as his confrontation with Geto and Mahito escalates. He enlarges his arm and smashes the wave of Mikamarus aside. Kikichi disappears in the confusion and Mahito figures that he ran away without any reason to kill them. Bored, Mahito claims he's not in the mood for hunting. Suddenly, the underground lair collapses, forcing Mahito to quickly escape outdoors. Mahito looks at the giant lake with an excited smile as ultimate Mikamaru mode absolute appears. From within its head doing final checkups, Kikichi notices a curtain forming around the area casted by Geto. He thinks that he needs to escape the curtain and reach Gojo to let him know about Shibuya. However, the only way to do that would be defeating Mahito first. Knowing that he won't stand much of a chance, he still doesn't plan on holding back and will use all 17 years, 5 minutes and 6 days worth of cursed energy he's accumulated to win. He starts off by sending an entire year's worth of cursed energy into his ultimate Mikamaru and blasts Mahito with his ultra cannon, destroying the dam and sending rubble flying. Having dodged the initial blow, Mahito knows these types of attacks won't be effective and dives into the water. Using a two-year charge of cursed energy, Kikichi blasts the entire lake with Miracle Cannon, but despite his best efforts, Mahito leaps from the water to ready a strike at him. Kikichi believes Mahito is overlooking his offense, so now it's time to put his secret plan into action. Mahito extends his arm and grabs onto Mikamaru's head to accurately deliver a cursed energy-infused punch, which vigorously shakes the cockpit. Inside, Kikichi inserts a small tube into one of the side panels and activates a cursed technique charge. The tip of Mikamaru's finger splits open to reveal a small cannon which then instantly fires a spike projectile that stabs into Mahito as he's flying around. Initially, Mahito doesn't see it as a threat, but suddenly his wing explodes, leaving him open to get smacked aside by Mikamaru. Mahito crashes through several trees, confused as to how his soul was destroyed. Mikamaru then absolutely pummels the ground, forcing Mahito to fly away in retreat. Kikichi notices Mahito reshaping himself to hide his injuries, making him feel more confident that he might win. Even Geto acknowledges that Kikichi is skilled and his strategies are working against Mahito. Kikichi then uses an insane five-year charge called Pigeon Viola to send five cannons of cursed energy shooting at his opponents. Mahito shapeshifts and tries to avoid the beams, but he's taken by surprise when Mikamaru crushes him from above. The curse narrowly avoids getting hit, but Mikamaru follows up with another strike that sends Mahito flying back into the trees again. 
Confident that he'll be able to achieve his dreams, Kikichi activates another curse technique charge, reshaping Mikamaru's middle finger into a spike. However, the big bad wolf activates his domain expansion, the self embodiment of perfection, which is just like hella clean man, I honestly love the growth of Mahito's character throughout the story, dude thinks he's like perfection but he's the absolute like opposite of everything he thinks, it's so good. Idle Transfiguration automatically hits and forces Ultimate Mikamaru to collapse, appearing to signal Kokichi's demise. Confident in his automatic win strategy, Mahito turns his back to the giant cursed corpse and states, Kikichi shouldn't put so much faith into a strategy. Suddenly, Mikamaru gets back up and stabs the spike on his middle finger through Mahito's back. It is explained that the curse technique tubes contain simple domains, the domain for the weak invented in the Heian era. Out of the four tubes that contained it, the first failed, the second protected the cockpit from the domain and the third appears to have finished Mahito off for good as his body seemingly explodes after being stabbed. Mikamaru roars and turns his weapon towards Geto, ready to use his remaining 9 years to finish him off. However, the cockpit abruptly explodes from the impact of Mahito's enlarged fist. Horrified, Kikichi looks through the broken window to see Mahito's deranged smile. Kikichi takes the last technique tube and desperately rushes towards Mahito in an attempt to stab him. Yet, just as the two are about to touch, it skips away to Kikichi recalling, talking with Kasumi about getting to know one another better. She made a promise to come see him, but sadly, Mahito is ensured that that will never happen. Mikamaru collapses for good with its pilot's blood dripping from the titan's head. Rest in peace Mikamaru, obviously Big Gege loves this character and he like literally wears the disguise in public so I wonder if perhaps he found Kikichi to be an extremely human character who to everyone else seemed bad but to you know us readers we realised that was an entire level to his thoughts that no one else had even considered from the beginning. Anyways, after leaving, Gido suggests to Mahito that perhaps he was cutting it a little too close but Mahito believes that it was all according to plan. Ten days later, we arrive at the moment you have all been waiting for. To what is the absolute creme de la crop of hands like, oh my god, I can't even right now. Nothing in JJK even compares so far to the absolute brutality that happens next. So yes, finally, on October the 31st, 2018, the record of Shibuya Incident begins at 7pm when a curtain is cast with a 400 meter radius in the middle of Shibuya City. The rules of this curtain are that non-sorcerers can enter the curtain but they cannot exit, trapping themselves inside. Jujutsu sorcerers and managers can move through it as they please but the reception is blocked so all communication has to be maintained outside of the curtain. Over with our favourite manager Kiyotaka Ijichi, he informs the Nanami team of the situation outside the curtain in the Shibuya station. Nanami expresses that the situation is quite a pain while Eno tries to inform Megami about the curtain. Obviously Megami already knows like what a curtain and everything is so he just completely ignores him and Nanami ends up asking Ajichi where Gojo currently is. But meanwhile just outside of the Shibuya city business center nobody has found where the normally busy intersection is. Something terrible must have happened and everyone would have spread out to probably the edges of the curtains. They're all asking the exact same thing. Bring Satoru Gojo. Akari, another manager from Jujutsu Tech, relays this information to the Zenin team. The old dog, Naobiso, understands that the non-sorcerers were told to say it. Sorcerers are free to move in and out of the curtain, so that makes it impossible for them to break the barrier with brute force. The ideal strategy is to look for and neutralize the cursed user who cast the curtain. 
However, each team is on standby for now because the higher-ups decided that Gojo should work alone to suppress the Shibuya incident as quickly as possible. Inside the curtain, the civilians dressed in their Halloween costumes all discuss the situation. At 8.31pm, Sasuru Gojo arrives inside of the curtain and makes his way inside of the Hikari Shinkyu's Shibuya shopping mall. He analyzes the situation and heads straight down to basement floor 5, the lowest level basement where the subway trains operate. At Aoyama Cemetery, the Meimei team awaits further instructions. Yuji is eager to help and Meimei surmises they'll be called in as backup shortly. Wee Wee, Meimei's freaking weird younger brother, feels that she shouldn't be used in such a way. Okay, like, one sec, I just need to cut myself off here. Like, I get it bro, your sister is absolutely banging and stuff, but that doesn't mean you need to go like all incesty. But like, anyway, they then get a message that another curtain has appeared along with Gojo's arrival. Because of this, Meimei's team turns and runs towards Meiji Station. Back with my dad, Satoru, he descends into the Tokyo Metro onto a specific platform I've failed to pronounce probably way too many damn times to even bother trying to say again, where he's confronted by Jogo, Hanami and Choso. Satoru tells Jogo to not have an excuse for losing this time, and Jogo replies that the strongest sorcerer should have his first ever excuse ready. Sick burn, Jogo. <laughs> Jogo hitting him with a freaking sick burn. Hanami's roots block all possible exits, but Gojo claims he wasn't going anywhere anyway. Everyone standing on the outside lanes of the platform is suddenly forced onto the tracks surrounding the forger jutsu used with non-sorcerers. Sasuro nonchalantly tells those around him to stand out of his way if they don't want to die. He realizes that blocking the exits created a blind spot so he can't break through just in case there are people on the other side. Heading for Gojo, Jogo burns through several civilians and Choso attacks with slicing exorcism. Both Hanami and Jogo attack Satoru but are instantly stopped by his infinity. They strengthen their cursed energy and activate domain amplification, forcing Satoru to dodge. He surmises that they learned this technique from a curse user, as normal barriers are meant to trap their targets in a box, but domain amplification metaphorically surrounds the target with water-like curse energy. With this method, the curses can neutralize the infinity. For those who are like obviously still confused, I just think of Killua and his like quick as fuck reflexes when he trains the uh, like during that dark game to get his like reflexes up with the electricity and shit and he like pew, pew, grab it as soon as things hit the skin. That's just kind of like what I think domain amplification's like in my head, but I'm probably utterly wrong. I don't know. Someone let me know down below. Prior to the Shibuya incident, Ghetto advises his allies that Gojo is best when he's working alone. Any Jujutsu sorcerers and non-sorcerers will only restrict his movements and render him incapable of using his curse techniques. In this situation, Satoru would be forced on the defensive and even his domain expansion would harm people. So he explains that the plan is to mess around and force Gojo to think of countermeasures for a period of time until the prison realm is ready. Back in the battle, Jogo snatches somebody's head off and reminds Satoru the rules were for him to not run away. Satoru admits he was surprised and Jogo was pleased to hear a possible excuse. However, Gojo rejects this and removes his blindfold, revealing his six eyes, then adding that he's only surprised because these foolish curses believed they could use their brains to defeat him. Looking at Hanami, he points him out and says that this is their third meeting and their weed is getting cut first. Without fear, Satoru walks right up to Jogo while ignoring Hanami beside him. They both move to attack, but Satoru counters Jogo's hand with his own body. He avoids Hanami's strike and snaps Jogo's arm clean off, then uses it to block Hanami's follow-up attack and continues to chase after Jogo. 
Hanami realizes Sasuto only made the threat earlier to confuse them, and not only that, he also deactivated his limitless technique. He questions if Gojo plans to abandon focusing on his technique and fight in close quarters instead. Because of this, Hanami decides it's best to deactivate his amplification and activate his innate technique. However, this turns out to be a fatal mistake as Jogo turns back to yell at Hanami. Sasuto instantly grabs the tree branches growing out of Hanami's eye sockets, then forcibly pulls them out completely from his skull. Seeing this, Jogo runs away in fear, shocked that Sasuto was still so strong while only using cursed energy manipulation and physical attacks. Choso attempts to hit Gojo with blood manipulation while killing civilians along the way, but it's stopped by Gojo's infinity. Sasuto recognizes that Choso is a death painting and decides to ignore him for now. Jogo and Hanami both attack him again with domain amplification. However, this time due to the now weakened Hanami, Sasuto can counter by strengthening his infinity. He turns and crushes Hanami against a wall with his expanded limitless. Jogo attempts to divert his attention by threatening civilians, but Sasuto doesn't hesitate to crush Hanami completely, annihilating the curse with his infinity, turning him into nothing but a mist of blood. With Hanami exercised, Gojo turns back to meet the despaired Jogo's gaze and claims he's next. Skipping away from the absolute domination Cod is laying down in Shibuya right now, we find ourselves with Yuji, Mei Mei and Weiwei as they arrive at Meijiji Jingjumei Station, and that is the last time I'm ever saying the full name for that station, where they are informed that there are two barriers now surrounding the station. After being informed about the situation, Mei Mei uses her ability on some crows to investigate the immediate area. When she finishes scouting, she informs Yuji of what she saw in the station. Yuji asks if Mahito was down there, but Meimei replies that she didn't see him. However, he must be in there since there are mutated humans literally all over the place. Meimei then says that they will split up until they each finish their respective tasks. At 9.03pm, as Yuji enters another entrance, he comes across a random bug cursed spirit who can talk and is obviously somewhat strong. Yet, this thing is just like so damn irrelevant, it doesn't even get a name. Well, it, it does, it's like Grasshopper or Kogai, but still, like you try finding a name that isn't just Grasshopper or some Japanese text that translate to Grasshopper, it's, that's all that's out there, I, I can't find anything else. Yuji asks the spirit if Mahito was here, to which the bug says that he is down below and that he is currently protecting the barrier. As Yuji wonders if the bug creature had put up the screen, he notices an object and realizes the cursed spirit was only guarding the item that projects the screen. The grasshopper curse tells Yuji that transfigured humans don't taste as good as normal ones and that he knows this because he's smart. Annoyed, Yuji kicks the curse into the wall. He quickly follows up with a punch to the grasshopper's torso and states that the curse needs to stop looking down on humans. The grasshopper says that Yuji isn't smart and those who aren't smart die. I actually hate this grasshopper man. He asks what kind of curse Yuji thinks he is and Yuji is able to pick up on the obvious answer. This makes the grasshopper curse realize that Yuji is actually smart. Like actual pug brain man, dude deserves to be in a bug's life, not JJK. You're making a lot of sense, I mean why take the risk? You should tell Hopper. Good idea. Yeah, that's good. Oh, that's good. Oh, a little lower. Yeah. Lower, lower. Hey, Hop. Go away. That's fine. Then I won't tell you my idea. Good. The grasshopper curse lunges at Yuji with its jumping power and tries to chomp down on him. Yuji avoids the attack while assessing its strengths. Recognizing its ability to communicate makes it a more powerful curse. It gets behind Yuji and tries to punch him, but Yuji contorts his body and continues to avoid getting hit. 
The dumbass grasshopper asks if Yuji is smart and the student reveals to it that smart people don't generally ever brag about being smart. This genuinely shocks the grasshopper curse who covers his mouth from surprise. Like, dude, I, I can't even right now, bro. Like, like being serious. I can't be serious with this dude. They then engage in close quarters and trade blows. The grasshopper believes it has the advantage in a numbers battle because it has two more arms. However, Yuji easily overpowers and batters his opponent with far superior skill. The grasshopper curse attempts to shoot black mucus at Yuji, but he ducks under and prepares to deliver an uppercut. However, grasshoppers actually have an expandable abdomen to lay eggs underground, and he uses this in an attempt to strike Yuji with the extended hard tip while he's low. Yuji is fast enough and knocks the appendage aside before separating it completely with a chop. He then exercises the stupid little grasshopper before breaking the stake and undoing the curtain. Meanwhile, Meimei kills the transfigured humans on the basement floor 4, and Meimei decides that they should stay and wait to regroup with Yuji before heading down to the 5th level. Below them, Mahito prepares to board the train from Harajuku to Shibuya Station. He notices that the Grasshopper Curse was defeated and admits that it must have taken a skilled sorcerer to do so. Mahito expresses his disappointment having desired to fight as well, but knows what he must do and sticks to the plan. Back in the beatdown with our boy Gojo, Joko frantically huffs for air as he runs, stumbling through the crowded platform. Satoru follows close behind him with an extremely dark and menacing presence. Our brother Choso lets Joko take all the heat while quietly trying to hide in the chaos among the civilians. Joko tries to push people in Satoru's way and strike from behind, but the Infinity is able to stop the person in mid-air as well as Joko's punch. Choso nonchalantly shoots three blood arrows from a good distance down the platform. The Infinity stops them and Satoru notes Choso's location but chooses to ignore him again. Honestly, thank Gojo for real, he didn't just murk Choso first thing, like he knew he knew something was going on behind the scenes. Anyway, still worrying, Jogo believes that 20 minutes should have passed already. Down the line though, Ghetto waits with Dagon and states that they need to get Gojo on edge more before they make a move. Meanwhile, at Meiji Station's 4th floor, the Meimei team regroups and heads down one more floor. On the way down, Meimei commends Yuji and states his strengths. Yuji replies by revealing that it wasn't Mahito on the 2nd floor and that it wouldn't have been that easy if it was. Carrying his sister's battle axe, where we sternly tells Yuji to graciously accept his sister's compliment. Honestly, this cuck of a kid needs to just leave. He's literally just a vehicle, bro. After reaching the third floor, they find a civilian, but his head immediately transfigures and he dies. Before he died, though, he mentioned everyone was on the train. This makes Yuji realize that it's headed straight for where Gojo is. Back at Hikari Shinkyu's station, Satoru was surprised to see that the train is arriving. Some of the civilians attempt to get on and flee, but it's already stuffed to the brim with transfigured humans that start attacking as soon as they are let loose. Satoru watches in horror while Mahito hops out of the train to greet Jogo. Civilians run away in fear as transfigured humans rush from the train indiscriminately attacking everyone in sight. Satoru watches in horror and doesn't believe whittling down the numbers of humans is to his opponent's advantage. Mahito tries attacking, flying through the air, swiping at Gojo, but he easily blocks it. He then figures out quickly that Mahito is the one that attacked Yuji and Anami and tries to attack him, but Mahito jumps back out of the way. The creepy boy then comments about how he finds humans so disgusting since there are so many of them, and as he says this, people begin pouring down into their floor from above. 
As Gojo figures that the cursed spirits have allies who are above sending more people to their location, Mihido uses idle transfiguration, multiplicity, body repel, and Choso in combination uses his blood manipulation convergence supernova technique to attack a crowded Gojo. However, Gojo easily blocks them, killing a bunch of civilians in the process. From behind, Jogo appears launching at Gojo. The sorcerer manages to grab his arm, but Jogo instantly severs the limb to get away. Mahito and Jogo think about the current situation, believing Gojo won't use his technique as he doesn't want to incur any more civilian casualties. Yet, obviously these negative IQ eggs are absolutely shocked when Gojo goes goth mode and activates his freaking domain expansion. Satoru's all or nothing domain expansion of 0.2 seconds casts an unlimited void over the platform. The time was an educated guess that assumed non-sorcerers could only stay within the domain for that long without suffering permanent damage. In that time, half a year's worth of info flooded into everyone's brains, immobilizing them. At this level, these special grade curses could awaken at any moment. Taking that into consideration, Satoru focuses on killing all of the transfigured humans, and in approximately 299 seconds, 1,000 transfigured humans were annihilated after the deactivation of the domain by the hands of the strongest man alive. Immediately after, Satoru notices a small box appear next to him on the floor. With the stage set for their plan to succeed, Ghetto finally activates the Prison Realm. In a flashback before the battle, it's explained that the Prison Realm is the final remains of the Buddhist monk Genshin Impact. It is a living barrier capable of sealing anything, even Gojo. Jogo inquires about the conditions and Ghetto reveals that the target must stay within a 4 meter radius for 1 minute. Annoyed at the absurdity of this, Jogo threatens him, but Gido assured Jogo not to worry, as his version of one minute is slightly different. In the present, Gido orders the prison realm to open. The cursed object breaks out of its talisman seal and expands into a cycloptic curse with an eye in the center. The eye meets Satoru's gaze and he instantly attempts to flee. However, Gito reveals himself and greets Satoru as if he had never even died in the first place. Confused, memories of his best friend rush through Satoru's mind and he still can't understand how Ghetto could even be alive. He's sure he killed him himself, but his eyes tell him something else. When Ghetto said one minute to Jogo in the past, he meant one minute worth of time that processed within Satoru's six eyes enhanced brain. Although it was just a moment, three years worth of memories flooded in, causing the prison realm to instantly capture Gojo, immobilizing him and shutting off all access to his body's cursed energy. Recognizing that he is lost, he still demands to know who Ghetto is, as Gojo knows in his heart that Suguru is dead and that this man is a fraud. The man then removes the stitches and takes off the top of his head revealing the true villain of the entire series, I, I think, and that he is indeed capable of switching bodies along with using that said body's possessed natural abilities. Satoru is still confident that Yuta will step in in his place. However, Big Brain Ghetto argues Yuta Akotsu cannot become the next Satoru Gojo. He bids farewell to Satoru and tells him he will release him into the new world after his plan has succeeded. So, you know, he will come back eventually. Meanwhile, down the line, Team Meimei heads towards Satoru's position. Suddenly, Yuji stops, and as Yu asks what's up, he finds a small Mikamaru-like communication device randomly on his ear, asking if he can hear his voice. Yuji's quick to take it off and attempts to break it, but Kakechi quickly reveals that Satoru Gojo has been sealed. 
Back at the station, the imposter addresses Gojo and mockingly bids him good night, to which Gojo replies by saying that it might be good night for him, but for him, it's time to wake up. And Ghetto's arm suddenly moves up, grabbing his own neck. Ghetto is even stunned by this and tells Mahito his theory about their body and soul being separate must be incorrect. Satoru tells them to get this over with and Ghetto agrees, closing the gate and sealing Satoru Gojo at last. Meanwhile, Meimei doesn't believe Kokichi, but he provides information around his own death, saying that he was killed by Mahito on October the 19th. On October the 19th, and that this puppet is simply a contingency plan. There are only three of these puppets in separate locations, and one was given to Meimei's team because they are the least likely to be the actual moles. Kokichi warns them that there is a curse user coming to attack them, saying that they are stronger than the grasshopper, and likely around semi-grade 1. Meimei wants to ignore them and reach Gojo, but Kakichi advises them to focus on taking down the four barriers that have appeared around Shibuya. All the teams on standby there have likely been caught inside a curtain and are unable to use cell phones. This goes for managers as well, so Kakichi tells Yuji to head back to Meiji Station and then go over to Shibuya above ground from there. Kakichi asks Meimei to defeat the curse user and clear the path for Yuji, to which she agrees. Kihichi understands that the Jujutsu world and human society will be absolutely ruined if Gojo disappears, so he asks them to put their lives on the line to save him. Meimei notes that their enemies have arrived and this ugly ass curse user Abina appears with his Shikigami on a chain. Back at the Hikari building, Choso and Jogo finally awaken from their state after the unlimited void. Suddenly, the prison realm drops to the ground out of Ghetto's hand, cracking the floor. Inside, Satoru sits in an unknown area surrounded by skeletons and notices that time doesn't pass. He admits he messed up but believes everything will be fine because he has faith in everyone else. Teams Kusakabe, Zenin and Nanami all discuss the situation outside the curtain. Team Nanami agrees amongst themselves that the most concerning new development is the appearance of another curtain trapping Gojo and preventing sorcerers from entering. It's already been almost an hour since Gojo arrived in Shibuya, so from their perspective, it's difficult to understand why the enemy would wait until now. Nanami decides to head for the curtain's caster and asks Eno and Megami to do their best to rescue civilians. All three teams of Jujutsu sorcerers then head into Shibuya at the same time. Outside the perimeter of the curtain, Ajichi talks on the phone with the other manager, Akari. He asks her to confirm the situation inside the curtain and get back out as quickly as possible. Ajichi plans to get everyone off duty involved, but before he can do that, he's suddenly stabbed from behind by the freaking creep, Haruta. Shigemo pulls his sword from Ajichi's guts and watches him fall onto the ground. From behind, a mysterious monk orders him to continue targeting the people in suits around the curtain's perimeter, then head inside after. Back in Shibuya Station, Big Brain Ghetto explains that the prison room requires time to process Gojo before it can be moved. Mahito suddenly notices one of Mikamaro's communication devices on the roof nearby and destroys it. Kokichi immediately relays the information about the enemy being unable to move Gojo to Yuji. He says that it's best to move in on the Shibuya Station from the surrounding subways, and once all the curtains preventing the sorcerers from reaching Gojo are down, they can then attack the station simultaneously. Yuji runs into the curtain, trapping civilians and using his blinding speed and cursed energy, he clears out the group of transfigured humans to help rescue the civilians. Yuji keeps up the momentum and then climbs a large building with ease before yelling out to Nanami. Yuji's scream echoes throughout Shibuya, reaching the Nanami team. Yuji continues yelling, revealing that Gojo-sensei was sealed. Team Kusakabe hears this as well, and the news shocks Nanami, to the point he immediately changes plans. 
Megami is also surprised to hear that his mentor has been sealed, and Anami says that if it is true, then all humans in Japan are surely doomed. Gedo gets Mahito, Jogo, Dagon, and Choso into a group and informs them of his next move. He will remain here to protect the prison realm and asks the cursed users on how they plan on dealing with all of these sorcerers heading their way. Choso simply wants to avenge his brothers by killing Yuji and Obara, to which Jogo says that Yuji is off limit for being Sukuna's vessel, but Choso simply doesn't care. Mahito tells Jogo to calm down and playfully reveals that he wants to kill Yuji too. After seeing Gojo in person, Mahito is confident that their side already holds a solid advantage over the sorcerers and that they can win without Sukuna's help. He expresses his unusually messed up smirk and instead suggests that they all try to kill Yuji. Annoyed, Jogo asks if Mahito is being serious and he replies that he is for real. Jogo knows that Sukuna isn't their ally and could cause them all to suffer, but the era of curses will still surely come regardless. He believes curses do not fear death and can walk their paths sincerely to achieve their goals. Mahito argues that even if a cursed spirit is constant along that path, they still live according to their desires. He acknowledges that reviving Sukuna is a legitimate strategy, but Mahito doesn't want to fight Jogo over it. Instead, Mahito turns it into a game. If he encounters Yuji first, he'll kill him, and if Jogo finds him first, he can use the fingers to restore Sukuna's power. Choso adds that if he finds Yuji, he will try to kill him as well. This annoys Jogo, but Mahito is excited to see that Choso wants to play too. Gedo decides to pass on the game and stay behind with the prison realm. Jogo interrupts and argues that it's the safest and smartest strategy for them all to remain in place with Gedo and wait for Yuji and all the remaining sorcerers to come to them. However, Mahito, Choso, and even Dagon run off once the game starts. Determined to not let them find Yuji first, Jogo runs off as well and inadvertently decides to take part. Instantly after, Gedo notices Mimiko and Nanako watching him and says that the curses are smarter than them. They state that they helped with killing monkeys and demand Suguru Gedo's body back as promised. They don't want the imposter using their beloved master's body any longer. Gedo refuses though and tells the girls that they should make a binding vow whenever dealing with a sorcerer. He tells them to leave unless they want to be killed by their master's body. Which is freaking insanely brutal man. They disappear into the crowd and claim he'll live to regret this. But the imposter responds with a claim that it's been so long that he's forgotten what regret even feels like. Which is a pretty badass thing to say. Meanwhile, Yuji stands on top of a building in Shibuya and continues yelling for Nanami. After Nanami's team find him, Yuji and Mikamaru bring them completely up to speed as far as the situation revolving around Gojo. Nanami agrees coordinating an attack from the adjacent stations makes sense for a battle plan, but in order for that to work, they must lift the curtain first. Nanami asks Eno to take the first years and lower the curtain prohibiting the sorcerers from entering the station, whereas he's going to head outside the curtain and meet up with Ajichi. Additionally, Nanami wants Eno to pass along any information to the other teams if he encounters them. After the Grade 1 Sorcerer leaves, Eno debriefs Megami and Yuji so they understand the severity of failure in this situation. If Satoru Gojo disappears, the Gojo family falls out of power and anyone like Yuji who has been protected will be targeted by the Jujutsu higher-ups. Sorcerers in the community will fight for political power and while they're doing that, all the curses and curse users that were held back by Gojo's presence will attack. This means if the Jujutsu high sorcerers fail here in Shibuya, the age of humanity will surely be over in Japan. Meanwhile, on top of the Shibuya Tower, three curse users watch over the commission curtains. They're excited to hear that Gojo has been sealed. 
the old man wonders how this will affect Japan, to which Ogami replies that nothing will change as cursed users will curse and the cursed will die. Yuji tries to break through the curtain preventing the sorcerers from entering, but the attack is ineffective and the barrier doesn't even budge. Ino is impressed with Yuji's striking power, but this just means that the curtain is incredibly sturdy. As Megami's divine dog, Totality, kills transfigured humans in the background to save civilians, he suggests that they try and find a weak point in the curtain. Eno argues that there is no weak point since they can't get inside. He believes that the curtain's caster is within the curtain, but Yuji explains how curtains worked at Meiji Station. By staying outside the curtain, the risk of being seen increases, and in return, the curtain's strength does as well. Hearing this, Megumi surmises that the curtain's projectors are probably somewhere extremely obvious. At 10.01pm, on top of Shibuya Tower, Jiro or Jiro, I don't know how to say his name exactly, Awasaka looks down on the city and asks if this is the most obvious spot to strengthen the curtain. Ogami's grandson agrees, but notes that they will have to kill the curses inside the building before getting to them. However, they're both taken off guard when Nui suddenly appears flying above them. As Nui goes in one direction, Yuji goes in the other, then using a wire, he wraps up all of the curse users at once. Ogami's grandson helps her get out of harm's way, but Awakasa is swept clean off of the building. Takuma takes this chance to break one of the curse tools that is putting up the screen, but also realizes that one of the enemies has taken the other two curse tools with him, preventing him from continuing. Yuji further wraps up Awasaka in a wire and drags him downward at a faster velocity. Yuji snaps the wire and dives inside the building while yelling out for Megami to deactivate Nui, while dropping Awasaka over 40 stories towards the ground below. Back at the top of the tower, facing off with Ogami and her grandson, Eno says that it's time for him to start paving his way to becoming a grade 1 Jujutsu Sorcerer, and passionately lowers his mask over his face. Back below, Megami flares up his cursed energy and demands that the old man get up. Awasaka stops playing dead and smiles at his opponents. Megami reminds Yuji that they don't have time to waste, and he agrees. On top of Shibuya Tower, cursed energy flows from Eno's body as he activates his innate technique, Auspicious Beast Summon. Eno possesses a seance curse technique that allows him to become a spiritual medium by hiding his face. In doing so, he can summon and use the abilities of four auspicious beasts. First, Eno summons Kaichi and shoots a horn-like projectile with homing missile capabilities at the two. However, Ogami's grandson puts his body on the line to protect her. Eno thinks that he wants to wrap up this fight as quickly as possible and get back to the first years because Nanami entrusted him with looking after them. He tells himself to understand the facts and control the self in order to eliminate one's ego. Meanwhile, Yuji and Megami fight alongside the divine dog Totality against Awasaka. The boys don't find fighting the enemy difficult, but working together to be the hard part of this battle. They appear to be overwhelming the old man, but he remains completely unscathed despite all of their efforts. He slices at Yuji with a knife, but gets caught in the toad's tongue and flung into the bridge structure above them. However, he still isn't hurt. Annoyed, Megami points out that they weren't meant to be wasting time. Back at the top of the tower, Ogami's grandson defends the old witch from Takuma's barrage of attacks while she continues chanting behind him. As Ogami finishes, her grandson swallows something and starts to transform into the literal civilian demon, the destroyer of freaking worlds, Daddy Toji Fushiguro. Though in typical Japanese manga cliffhanger style, like I can already see in this being the point an episode ends on, it skips away back to December the 7th, 1989, the day Satoru Gojo was born. In the past, cursed users were free and used their techniques to kill others for money. However, that all changed that day. 
With his presence in the world, the balance of the Jiu-Jitsu community was completely altered. The curse users were stripped of their freedom and that feeling of dissatisfaction has stuck with Awasaka and Ogami ever since. In the present day, Awasaka continues fighting with Yuji and Megami. He uses his lust for revenge on Gojo to fuel his anger in battle and beats back the two first years. This surprises the students as they don't understand how he's nullifying all of their damage. Megami figures out that it might be related to his innate technique and decides to yell out a bold-faced lie. He says that Gojo is in Shibuya. Yuji is confused, but this helps Megami confirm that the cursed user's technique isn't something like damage nullification that could counter Gojo's limitless technique. Awasaka claims that he's ready to finish their battle, and Megami responds by unleashing his new rabbit escape Shikigami. This creates a wave of countless small rabbits that are supposed to serve as a distraction. However, Awasaka has a random reaction to them as he's hit way harder than he should have been. This gets Megami's attention and he immediately tells Yuji, revealing that he's figured out the enemy's cursed technique. Confused, Takuma Ino looks across the roof of the Shibuya Tower at Ogami and her grandson, who is shapeshifted into Toji Fushiguro. Ino figures out that the old woman is a necromancer and he can tell with just one look that Toji is ridiculously strong. The Jujutsu Sorcerer attempts to summon his auspicious beast, Ryu, but Toji rips off his mask before Eno even knows what's happening. He then lands a powerful right hook on the Sorcerer's jaw, followed up by grabbing Eno's collar and pummeling his face with a flurry of rapid-fire punches. Down below, Awasaka realizes the purpose of Megami's rabbits is more of a diversion than an actual attack. He wonders if the Jujutsu High students try to hit him with a lethal blow from behind with the rabbits, when suddenly the curses are deactivated and Megami's max elephant falls from the sky with him on top of it. Awasaka manages to resist the impact and the Shikigami is deactivated just as quickly as it appeared. This annoys the old man, who demands Megami to man up and fight him directly. Megami replies that that's more of his boy's style and right on cue, Yuji hurls a freaking car at Awasaka. The cursed user is able to nullify the blow though, but is still blown away by Yuji's pure strength. Megami then gets Awasaka's attention while Yuji prepares a full power swing. Awasaka believes he can easily anticipate Yuji's punch and Megami's attack at the same time as his curse technique, Inverse, makes strong attacks weak and weak attacks strong. He believes the harder his opponents fight, the easier he wins. It is revealed though that our boys had already figured out their opponent's innate technique and Megami surmises that the Inverse technique must have a maximum and minimum limit as the curse user is reinforcing his body with curse energy on top of it. Yuji understood and suggested that they attack with a strong and weak attack at the same time. Megami agrees, stating that they just need to keep the pressure on and prevent him from realizing that they've figured it out. In the present exchange of blows, Yuji makes contact and his punch is instantly nullified, but a simple poke from Megami's toad's tongue is enough to do serious damage. Awasaka pours blood from his mouth and before he even has a chance to recover, the guys resume their beatdown. Injured for the first time in this battle, Awasaka refuses to lose and forces the boys back, demanding the kids don't get cocky. Suddenly, Yuji gets behind the old man and throws another powerful punch. Awasaka turns around to counter it, but Yuji stops just before he adjusts his strike, throwing a now weaker punch, which Awasaka's inverse makes extremely powerful, knocking him completely out. Impressed by this, Megami tells Yuji that he can pull off some pretty dope-ass moves. With Awasaka defeated, Yuji and Megami break the two commissioned curtains he was holding, deactivating the curtain preventing sorcerers from entering Shibuya Station. As Megami thinks about interrogating the old man for some answers, Eno is suddenly thrown from the top of Shibuya Tower. Megami notices in time to summon Noe to rescue him from falling to his death. 
Yuji catches Eno and is horrified by the shape he's in. Above them, in Toji Fushiguro's form, Ogami's grandson comments that the curtain is down and asks what they should do now. Ogami asks him to go down and keep killing sorcerers. However, Toji's personality tears its way through, taking over the body of the grandson and telling the old hag to not give him orders. Worried, Ogami jumps back, not understanding how this happened, as she only meant to summon the body's information and not the soul. Toji doesn't even know what's happening either, but he figures his heavenly restricted body overtook the host's soul. Ogami doesn't believe this to be possible, yet to her dismay, Toji decides to follow her orders, starting off by killing the old hag first. Yuji wants to go back up the tower and avenge Eno, but Megumi reveals that he's not dead and asks Yuji to focus on rescuing Gojo. While Yuji heads to the station, Megumi agrees to take care of Eno. The latter doesn't like the idea of being alone in Shibuya, but Yuji is confident in having Mikamaru with him. Which is, you know, like pretty funny when you think about it because the dude's just the damn earpiece and like bro ain't helping with any of the hands. Meanwhile, Nanami is left horrified as he finds Ajichi unconscious and bleeding out at Shibuya station. At the same time between the stations, Meimei easily overwhelms the curse user Abina in close combat with her battle axe. Old Kirio sits on top of Abina's defeated curse spirit as Meimei explains how her innate technique works. Meimei grew up believing her blackbird manipulation was a weak technique, so she focused on being effective without it. Abina begs for her forgiveness and asks to leave, but Wiiwi tells him to be quiet while his sister is speaking. Meimei explains that reinforcing one's body with curse energy can only take a sorceress so far. Realizing this, Meimei was initially devastated, but the realization allowed her to go back and master her innate technique, making Meimei into the blossoming grade 1 sorcerer she is today. Wiiwi weirdly claps and makes Abina clap for his sister as well. Meimei asks her brother why a person's life value is proportional to, to which he says that life's value is in proportion to how useful they are to Meimei. I love Meimei bro, but like I couldn't imagine how cringe this would be like, in real life seeing this little kid say that shit. She then asks Abina his service potential and he's unable to answer. Meimei believes the fact that he can't answer as a curse user and a murderer is the reason that he lost. She crushes his head with her axe and reveals service potential is life itself for her. Weiwei tells his sister that the curtain has been taken down and Meimei gets excited at the prospect of Gojo owing her big time. Gero watches her movements from the Shibuya station and is impressed she won so quickly. Meanwhile, on Shoto, Bunkamaru, Bunkamura Street? I'm not saying that one again. The creep user Shigimo encounters Arata and Nobara in the middle of the road. Nobara tells Anita to stay behind her and steps up to face the curse user alone. After slaying so many male managers, Shigimo is excited to finally find some girls to play with. Which, if I remember correctly, is like the exact same thing he said at the end of the Goodwill arc. The dude is just like a degenerate person personified. Returning from taking Ajichi to safety, Nanami tells himself that he never has or never will be frustrated by his own uselessness. He feels that he's just living in the face of all of the evils in the world. He thinks about his fallen homies and mutters aloud, how dare they. Meanwhile, the Zenin team fights against the transfigured humans inside of Shibuya. Akari Nita notifies them that it sounds like Ajichi was attacked while they were on the phone. Maki tells Nobara and Akari to go check on Ajichi while she stays with the old man. While on their way, Nobara and Akari are confronted by the curse user Shigimo. Nobara believes that Shigimo is the one who attacked Ajichi, and she asks Nita to pretend to hide in the subway entrance while escaping through to another. 
Shigemo interrupts the whisperings by throwing his sword at Nabara, but she deflects it with her hammer and charges at him, confident that he's a mid-range fighter. Suddenly, Shigemo figures out that Akari's not actually hiding. As Akari runs through the station, she passes by Shigemo's hand sword hanging off a wall. This leads Shigemo right to her location where he runs up to her and delivers a soccer-styled kick straight to the manager's chest, upsetting Nobara and injuring Akari. Nobara tries to stop him, but the sword suddenly falls into Shigemo's hand, allowing him to slash Nobara's leg, leaving a shallow cut. The cut distracts Nobara's attention, allowing Shigemo to attack her upper body, with the sword landing a fierce right hook to her jaw, completely dazing our girl. Nobara loses her balance and falls onto her knees, she can't believe how perfectly her opponent keeps landing shots. Shigemo asks Nobara if she's concussed, kneeling over to talk to her in a taunting manner. He claims that she's gotten a lot stronger since they last met, but it doesn't matter in the face of his uncanny curse technique. Nobara tries to buy time by asking Shigemo about his motivations. However, he doesn't have any convictions and kills simply because it's fun for him. He cuts Akari while she's on the ground, angering Nobara. She tells him to stop and he replies mockingly by asking her to make him stop. Nobara stumbles back to her feet determined to save Akari, and just as Shigemo prepares to finish her off, they both detect an extremely powerful presence. Nanami, the big man himself, walks into the substation and immediately glares at the curse user with a very less than happy expression on his face. Shigemo notices Nanami's attire and wonders if he's supposed to kill non-black suits too. By the way, like you are about to witness the strength of a pure 9 to 5 working man. While Shigemo wonders if he can kill non-black suits, Nobara recognizes Nanami as the leader of Megami's team. The curse user tells the newcomer to read the room as Nanami wraps his necktie around his fist and walks towards him. Shigemo tries to show that he has a hostage, but Akari had crawled up the escalator while he was distracted. While he expresses that he's sad that she got away, Nanami appears directly behind him. He asks Shigemo how many curse users there are and where they are located. Shigemo turns around to quickly slash Nanami in the shoulder, claiming he doesn't know. He tries to follow up with a kick, but it feels like he's hitting a stone wall. Nanami doesn't budge an inch, and he's not cut at all either, surprising the assailant. Nanami repeats his question, asking where and how many enemies there are. Shigemo is about to claim that he doesn't know again, but Nanami uses his ratio technique to create a weak point in the opponent's body and backhands the mofo, sending him flying across the entire room like dude actually got dad handled, it's so good. Shigemo bleeds profusely from his face as his legs shake and he's barely able to stand. He believes he should have died and credits his curse technique for saving his life. He wants to run, but Nanami grabs his hair and repeats his question once again. Before Shigemo can even answer, Nanami delivers a ferocious body shot that slams Shigemo into the wall behind him, shattering it upon impact. With his life in very imminent danger, the curse user calls his curse tool to rescue him. It flies through the air in an attempt to slash Nanami from behind, but Nobara nails it to the wall. Shigemo tells her to stay out of it, but Nanami interrupts and grabs him by the throat. Instead of repeating the question again, Nanami reveals he found several dead managers on his way here. He lifts his fist and charges it with cursed energy, asking if Shigemo is responsible. Terrified, the helpless piece of trash apologizes, but it's too late as Daddy hits him with his curse technique, smashing the boy's face, leaving him in an unconscious bloody heap. Nobara is amazed by Nanami's strength, noting that he is exactly the model of what it means to be a true grade 1 Jujutsu Sorcerer. He walks away from the defeated child and tells Nobara that they need to find Akari. Meanwhile, Yuji dashes through the humans getting massacred all throughout the streets. He wants to help, but there isn't enough time to save everyone in this massive crowd either. 
However, Yuji hears a familiar voice that might be able to save the day. Toge Inumaki, my favorite Mew, arrives with a megaphone in hand and immediately speaks to the entire crowd, commanding everyone to not move. Shortly after helping Toge rescue the civilians, Yuji enters Shibuya Station at around 10.10pm. Unbeknownst to Yuji, Choso waits inside the station to confront his brother's killer. Back with Nanami, he kneels over as he speaks with Nobara and Akari. He reveals that Ajichi will be okay, but tells the girls to not forget that Ajichi originally trained to be a sorcerer instead of a manager. So how Gojo's built kinda different, you know? Nobara and Akari also learn about Gojo's situation, something they didn't hear about as they were indoors during Yuji's yelling. Nanami asks them to wait for rescue while he joins the Zenin team and heads for Shibuya Station. Nobara wants to go, but Nanami insists that the coming battle requires grade 1 and above sorcerers, anyone else would simply be in their way. Meanwhile, underground, Meimei comes face to face with Ghetto. She's surprised to see him, but quickly dismisses the idea that he could be alive. Ghetto tries to act friendly, but Meimei hasn't forgotten about Abina. Ghetto replies that he feels sorry that he has to kill a former friend, and summons the special grade disease curse, the smallpox deity, to do it for him instead. Meimei is surprised to see him use curse manipulation, but still doesn't doubt her conclusion about him for a moment. Ghetto reveals that he doesn't have many curses left after the attack on Jujutsu Tech in the previous year, but the ones he does still possess are ones of pristine quality. He leaves the area telling Mei that if she can exercise the smallpox deity, then he'll be her next opponent. The disease curse immediately activates its domain expansion, trapping Meimei inside a coffin. The curse chants Grave, causing a large gravestone to fall from the sky onto the coffin. The curse then begins to count, but Meimei breaks out before it ends. Wee Wee initially watches in horror, but he's excited to see his sister survive. Meimei is impressed, stating that it's been longer than she can remember since her life had been in danger for even a moment. At the entrance to Shibuya, Yuji runs inside and immediately finds Choso, who recognizes him as his brother's killers. He activates his blood manipulation, Convergence, then uses the secret technique of blood manipulation called Piercing Blood. The ability shoots a condensed cursed energy reinforced arrow extremely fast at Yuji. Yuji is able to block it, but the attack is so fast it nearly pierces completely through his left arm. Yuji tries to close the distance right after the attack is done, and hits him with his divergent fist. Chozo blocks the hit, but is left confused by the double impact. As the fight comes to a pause, Chozo asks Yuji if his younger brothers left him with any final words. Chozo clarifies that he means the two people Yuji killed, and the student laments about what happened with a sad expression on his face. He says that they didn't really have any last words, but they cried before they died. Choso was initially shocked, but is then quickly overcome with rage, causing the bloodline going horizontally across his nose to bubble and distort in shape. Choso asks Iso and Kichizu to watch over him as blood behind him forms an intimidating face shaped by his malice. He tells his younger brother to take a good look at their older brother as he prepares to kill Yuji. Meanwhile, inside the smallpox deity's domain expansion, Meimei is momentarily trapped underground beneath one of the disease curse's gravestones. The curse spirit counts down from three again, but Meimei breaks out of the trap in time. Having experienced this a few times now in the fight, Meimei understands the process of the technique. First, the target of the domain is trapped inside a coffin and then buried underground when they're hit by the weight of the large gravestone. Lastly, the curse counts down from three and the target is infected with the smallpox disease. The curse hits Mei's coffin with another gravestone, but this time she immediately cuts her way out. She believes this part of the process is the most annoying and fears she won't be able to fight Ghetto freely if she's hit again. 
may also deduces that the domain can only target one person at a time and devises a counterattack centered around that. The curse instinctively targets the person with the stronger cursed energy, and only a single crow was caught inside the domain, so Mama needs the disease curse to focus on her brother before she can utilize the birds. She asks her little brother if he's willing to die for her, and in his typical simp fashion, he agrees to do anything for her. Mame flees off to the side while Yu Yu flares up his cursed energy. The disease curse notices the swelling energy and traps Wee Wee inside of a coffin. A single hit by the gravestone would be enough to kill him, but as the curse chants, Mame suddenly slices off its hand with her axe. The grade 1 sorcerer tells the disease curse that her brother's role is more of that than just a pack mule, <laughs> you know, I highly doubt, but he then proves this by activating his new shadow style simple domain to protect himself. When Meimei asked if he was willing to die, he realized that this meant he was actually allowed to fight. Meimei says that his role is to counter domains as she doesn't like to be indebted to anyone. The special grade curse disease heals its hand quickly and reaches out to attack Meimei, when suddenly the single bird flies through the back of the curse spirit, piercing and exercising it in a single blow. While the curse spirit is dying, Meimei asks the quickest way to raise one's strength as a sorcerer, and her brother replies that it will be a binding vow, with one's life as the trade-off for more power. Meimei's extension technique, Bird Strike, exceeds the limits of the crow's cursed energy by forcing it to commit suicide with a kamikaze-like attack. No one other than Satoru Gojo has ever survived the devastating attack. With them defeated, Meimei declares it's time for the main act. She calls a flock of crows to her side that fill the underground subway and asks if they're ready to die for her. From the shadows, Big Brain Ghetto comes to confront her, admitting that she's not bad for a jujutsu sorcerer of this era. Back in the heat of battle against Yuji, Choso uses blood manipulation to control the blood outside of his body and shoot his piercing blood attack at Yuji. Yuji quickly realizes it's too fast and his chances of avoiding it are only about 50%. Yuji instead decides to dictate the timing of his opponent's next attack by jumping off the ground. This successfully baits Choso, who willingly fires piercing blood again at Yuji's head just before he hits the ground. However, Yuji drops his upper body's weight all the way down close to the ground at the very moment his feet touch it, quickly avoiding the beam. He then immediately rushes towards Choso and attempts to close the distance between them. Choso commends Yuji and bends the beam down to try and hit him. Yuji though is from the land of weaving, weaving and is able to dodge it, then engages Choso at close range. He wants to turn the exchange into a fist fight, but there's still a few floating balls of condensed blood around them. Choso activates Supernova, detonating all of the condensed blood in every direction like a buckshot, severely injuring Yuji's back. Big Bro Choso follows up by using Blood Edge to stab Yuji's foot with a dagger made of blood. However, Yuji surprisingly fights back with his stabbed foot and kicks him away. Then using his athletic ability to flip around Choso's guard, he lands a heavy axe kick. Yuji realizes that there aren't any more orbs of blood and focuses on stopping him from making any more. He's caught off guard though when Choso assumes the stance for shooting piercing blood. Yuji stops running towards his opponent, falling for Choso's feint. Choso then takes the offensive, casting flowing red scale on himself and delivering several successive blows to Yuji. After smashing him up against the wall, Choso uses convergence and piercing blood to try and finish him off. However, our goat somehow has the skin of a freaking rhino and survives. Choso though admits the blood wasn't condensed enough to kill him. Still heavily injured, Yuji starts to realize he can't win, when randomly once again, Mikamaru starts speaking, asking what's going on. Yuji replies with his own question, asking where Mikamaru has been this whole time, but he claims that he's conserving energy because there's something he still needs to do. 
Choso watches confused, while Mikamaru recognizes the death painting and tells Yuji that Choso is using blood manipulation, which is like pretty obvious. He says the inherited technique is prized within the Kamo family for its overall balance in combat. Yuji doesn't find this info helpful as he just narrowly dodges another shot of piercing blood. Mikumaru advises him to retreat to the bathroom, revealing that he has an idea. Yuji darts into a small hallway, surprising Choso. The death painting believes that Yuji will hit a dead end and skew it up by piercing blood. However, Choso runs into the bathroom where he finds Mikumaru's communication puppet on the opposite wall. Choso uses piercing blood to destroy the puppet, but water suddenly bursts out of every opening. Yuji, who was hiding in a store behind Choso, attacks him. Choso slides back after blocking and believes that that was Yuji's last chance before death. He prepares to use the condensed blood floating around him to finish the fight, but the water splashing around the room abruptly dispels convergence. Choso doesn't quite understand what's happened, and honestly it kind of took me a little while to probably get it as well, but he decides to use flowing red scale stack either way, focusing on controlling all of the blood within his own body to fight instead. Yu doesn't get the logic behind it either, but he does understand that they are fighting where he's comfortable now, in close quarters. They engage in a quick exchange of blows, with Yuji gaining the upper hand. However, just as Yuji gets the advantage, Choso used his enhanced strength to flick a small blood meteorite straight into Yuji's liver. Yuji is taken off guard because he thought Choso was out of projectiles thanks to Mikamaru's water trick, but immediately he recognizes he's been hit in an internal organ and considers the thought of losing and even dying. However, he stomps on the damn ground and regains his footing. This is like honestly our boy's time to freaking shine right here. Yuji converts his fear into curse energy and clears his mind of all distractions, getting ready to truly die if that's what it takes to bring down Choso. At the same time, Choso laments about how Yuji has only landed three significant strikes, yet he is moderately injured from them. He knows using another surprise attack with blood meteorite won't work, so he improvises and hardens his entire fist and much of his forearm using the blood inside of his body. By doing this, Choso was actually at risk of spontaneously developing a thrombosis, but he determines that Yuji is more of a severe threat. By the way, thrombosis occurs when blood clots, block veins and arteries which can like result in death because it can't flow properly around the body, I'm pretty sure. Yuji and Choso exchange blows once again, but Yuji is able to predict his opponent's movements at close range. He avoids a punch and a sweeping kick before hiding in a bathroom door and locking it. This confuses Choso, but Yuji suddenly bursts through the door and drop kicks him in the face. Choso narrowly blocks with his heart in hand, but Yuji locks his leg around his opponent's head and throws him with a flying scissor takedown. While Choso is staggered, Yuji closes the distance and flashes his right hand as a decoy to land a hard left blow to the body. However, something just doesn't feel right to Yuji, and Choso abruptly cracks his collarbone with a violent hammer fist to the shoulder. This creates a gaping dent where Yuji's shoulder should be, leaving him vulnerable to Choso's next attack. The death painting finishes the fight with a crushing blow to Yuji's stomach that sends him across the room, crashing into a wall. Choso lifts his robe and reveals that he had hardened part of his body Yuji attacked. Seeing this, Yuji falls unconscious, still barely breathing. Choso wants to finish him off, and before doing so, tells the Jujutsu Sorcerer to ask his brothers for forgiveness on the other side. However, something freaking mental suddenly stops Choso. Like, I'm gonna leave you all freaking confused until probably the next Jujutsu Kaisen explain video where I go over the next heart. This, like, moment is freaking huge. At that moment, a memory was born inside of Choso's brain. A memory of a past event that never happened.
Sukuna watches this from his innate domain, disappointed with Yuji's performance. He calls his student worthless and can't believe he lost to such an inferior opponent. Suddenly, Choto's head begins to throb and he stumbles away from Yuji, abruptly stricken with a headache. He recalls eating peacefully at a picnic table with all of his brothers, somehow including our boy Yuji. They were both eating together with Iso and Kachizu as well as all of the other six brothers who were still sealed. Yuji even passed him some food and called Choso his big bro. So yeah, obviously I joked about big bro Choso, but maybe I wasn't at the end of the day. Maybe big bro Toto and Choso is a, is a thing, who knows? When the memory ends, Choso bends over forward as sweat drips profusely off of his face. He doesn't understand what's going on and asks himself why Yuji was a part of that recollection. As Choso stumbles away, confused, Mimiko and Hanako appear to feed one of Sukuna's fingers to the unconscious Yuji. Yo, it's time, it's time. At 10, 20 p.m., Nanami and the Zenins head towards basement floor five. Nanami informs them about Gojo's ceiling and Gero's involvement. Naobito mentions he wouldn't mind the decline of the Gojo family, prompting Maki to tell him to leave if he's not going to help. The head of the Zenin family believes Maki is the one who should go home. Nanami actually even agrees with Naobito, having left Nobara behind due to the danger of this mission. Maki though believes she's more useful than her drunken grandfather. Irritated by hearing this, Nanami asks Naobito if he's been drinking, and the sorcerer claims he's done nothing of the sort. As they reach the lower floors of the station, Nanami thinks maybe he should have gone alone. Maki notices something while they're running through, and Nanami sees it as well. An octopus-type curse hiding behind one of the pillars in the open area. Nanami draws his sword and prepares to exorcise him when suddenly, Naobito appears behind the curse. He traps the premature Dagon in a frame using his curse technique, and while immobilized, he lands a heavy strike that sends the curse flying across the room. The impact severely injures the cursed womb, causing him to vomit up skeletal remains of the non-sorcerer humans he ate earlier. Writhing in pain, Dagon calls out to his allies, including Hanami. However, after realizing Hanami is dead, it enrages him and forces an evolution. Dagon leaves his cursed womb behind and evolves into a much larger and fishier form. As he generates a sphere of water on the tip of his finger, Naobito prepares for the incoming attack and Dagon unleashes a furious current that floods the entire area. Maki stabs her spear into one of the pillars and stands on top of it to avoid the water. She's shocked by the pure volume of the water the cursed spirit is outputting. However, much of the water that comes Naobito's way is trapped within the frames made by his cursed technique. Naobito asks the cursed spirit if he knows how many frames there are in an animated sequence. While Dagon is distracted by the old man, Nanami gets above him and strikes using his ratio technique. Dagon appears to block it, but he's abruptly sent crashing into the ground. Nanami attempts to follow up with an attack of her own, but Dagon grabs the blade of her curse tool. Before he counterattacks, Naobito traps him inside a frame though, and Nanami dives down to strike the cursed spirit. Yet, Dagon is able to protect himself by generating a whirling shield of water that circles around him. Maki laments being saved by Naobito, humiliated by the fact she would have died if he hadn't stopped Dagon earlier. The old man playfully slaps Dagon's shield of water and commends him for being able to pull off multiple simultaneous curse techniques. He recognizes Dagon has massive amounts of cursed energy and likely more techniques up his sleeve. In order to counter, Neobito leads the way and claims they'll all crush him with speed before he can activate any more moves. Neobito, Nanami, and Maki all start attacking Dagon's water shield as fast as they can in rapid succession. Each of them gradually begins to pierce into it until Neobito's fist breaks through completely. 
Before he's hit, Dagon causes the water to explode as a distraction and levitates above Maki and Hanami. However, Naobito suddenly appears behind Dagon, saying he foresaw the curse attempting to flee up high. He kicks Dagon onto the ground and follows up with a barrage of brutal blows that overwhelms the curse. Dagon admits that the old man is the main problem in this jujutsu battle and that he's even faster than Jogo. He then attempts to form his fingers together to create a hand sign, but Naobito unleashes a flurry of punches that pound Dagon into the ground. Despite Naobito's best efforts though, an uncanny seal forms on Dagon's stomach area, allowing him to cast his domain expansion, Horizon of the Captivating Skander. Inside this coastal type domain, Nanami and Maki are both suddenly bitten by Piranha Shikigami. The domain's guaranteed hit creates fish Shikigami that don't even exist until they hit the target, which is honestly like just cracked. Naobito though is easily able to counter the domain's can't miss attack with a secret art, Falling Blossom Emotion. Dagon figures that the head of the Zenon family had some kind of trick up his sleeve considering his skill level. Because of this, he decides to focus 70% of his power on Naobito and the other 30% on Nanami. Oh, man obviously just completely forgot about Maki. He unleashes his death swarm technique, calling upon a swarm of Shikigami to attack his foes. Knowing the Shikigami will instantly eat them alive, he warns Maki to attack without hesitation. His warning is interrupted though when the Shikigami abruptly appear to devour him first. Naobito manages to resist the wave of Shikigami using Fallen Blossom Emotion, but still recognizes the situation does not favor him. He notices that the force of the Shikigami isn't slowing down at all and wonders about the technique connected to the domain. His thoughts are abruptly stopped though when Dagon hides in the stream of Shikigami and punches Naobito high into the air. As he continues to get attacked now in the air, Dagon reveals Death Swarm as an endless stream of Shikigami that will never stop. Dagon turns to Maki and says that she's the weakest here. He quickly gets behind her and kicks her hard into the forest area on the beach. Despite the heavy hit, Maki survives and tells the octopus to finish her off in one hit if he's going to insult her strength. As Dagon threatens to give her the same fate as the other two, the new generation Sasuke and his domain expansion Chimera Freaking Shadow Garden is suddenly activated, instantly getting Dagon and Maki's attention. Megumi appears from the geyser and calls out to our girl. He extends his shadows out to her, allowing Maki to pick up the special grade curse tool, Playful Cloud. Grateful for the help, Maki tells Megumi that he really is a cocky brat. Momentarily floating above the tornado of shadows, Megumi looks onward over the coastal area and notices Dagon. He immediately recognizes that the octopus-like curse is the master of the domain. Dagon believes Megumi is foolish for entering his domain voluntarily and prepares to attack him. Maki quickly attacks Dagon with the playful cloud, striking away a chunk of the cursed spirit's arm. Dagon is surprised that he was actually injured and Maki follows up with another blow that sends Dagon skidding across the ocean water. He recovers from the attacks and recognizes that his guaranteed hit has been nullified because of Megami. Locked in a domain, tug of war, Dagon decides it's best to crush Megami before doing anything else. The cursed spirit spawns fish from his body and sends him swimming through the water at his adversary. Nanami jumps across the toads manifested from Megami's Chimera Shadow Garden and slices apart the fish. Megami is surprised to see him and Nanami asks him about Yuji and Eno. Megami informs him of their status and Nanami focuses on protecting Megami so he can concentrate on keeping the domain open. Dagon is shocked Nanami managed to withstand Death Swarm for an entire minute. Suddenly, Naobito appears behind him and attacks with blinding speed. Dagon ducks under the attack and is equally surprised that the old man has survived as well. Maki comes up to attack behind the curse and Dagon defends by spawning two large eel-like Shikigami to repel the sorcerers. 
Naobito traps the one attacking him in a frame and crushes it with a powerful stomp. Maki defends herself as well and they both stand on opposite sides of Dagon. Naobito tells him that all his attacks did was get one arm. He adds that even if he was old and decrepit, it will still cost the curse dearly. Nanami continues defending Megami, but the young sorcerer is reaching his limits. Megami reveals that he's actually trying to open a hole in the domain's barrier rather than engage in a domain battle. The octopus curse likely can't cast domain expansions twice in the same day, so if the Jujutsu sorcerers can escape, they win. Nanami makes sure Megami doesn't plan on staying behind and the student clarifies that he has no intention of throwing his life away. Nanami calls out to the Zenins and tells them to assemble in a roundabout way. They put their trust in Nanami's words and rush towards him. Dagon is confused for a moment, but he quickly figures out his adversary's plan. He panics and rushes to stop them. Nanami believes it's too late as a hole appears in the ground below Megami that leads outside of the barrier. You guys don't even have a clue what's about to happen if you haven't read this before. Like, hold on to your damn seats. As everyone assembles, okay? As everyone assembles around this hole, something unexpected happens. Before the sorcerers can even exit the domain, Toji, my father himself, Fushiguro, suddenly enters through the hole, and they're all forced to be a witness to the flesh of the man who is truly free in all of his overwhelming intensity. Toji makes his way into Dagon's domain through the hole that Megami had made in the barrier. Surprised, Megami looks up at the man floating in the air. Maki notices the intruder as a human jujutsu sorcerer, and Dagon wonders why his adversaries would let someone in rather than escape. Then in an instant, Toji disappears from sight, suddenly grabbing on to Playful Cloud with blinding speed. He easily snatches the curse tool from Maki, throwing her aside to arm himself with a Playful Cloud. Maki didn't even notice any curse energy, so she's shocked that she actually lost in an exchange of pure strength. Megami then reveals that the hole he had just opened in the barrier has been closed and it won't be easy for him to open another. Naobito is the only one amongst them who recognizes who Toji is. Upon uttering his name, Naobito notices the sclera of Toji's eyes filled completely with black. Though Ogami's science technique had the capability to continue after death, it was never meant to last forever. The technique is supposed to end when the host's cursed energy runs out. However, the grandson's soul did not possess any cursed energy as well, and Toji's body that overwrote it did not consume cursed energy. Therefore, it will never end, and now Toji can only fight completely on instinct until the vessel breaks. He is a puppet of pure carnage and destruction. Dakon honestly messes up really bad like right here. He notices Toji has no cursed energy and says that he's a complete waste of time. He summons a Shukigami to attack, but Toji obliterates it in a single swing. With insane speed, he then follows up with a barrage of three section staff strikes that injure Dagon's head, sending him flying back. Surprised, Dagon recognizes that he grossly underestimated Toji's superhuman speed and power. He tries to summon a swarm of numerous smaller Shukigami to attack, but Toji continues to get faster. While running on water like the god he is, Toji effortlessly rushes through all of the fish, striking them apart with a curse tool on his way to attack Dagon. Dagon then summons his hardest and most powerful Shikigami to repel Toji. However, it's dispatched just as easily as the rest. It's explained that Playful Cloud is the only special grade curse tool without a curse technique imbued into it. It is pure and solid power that depends entirely on the wielder's strength. In Toji's hand, he annihilates Dagon's water shield in a single blow, slamming the curse's head violently into the sand. Dumbfounded by the newcomer's domination, Maki can only watch in amazement with everyone else. She asks Naobito who the man is, but he says that Toji is just a ghost. Nanami tells Megami to hold on to his domain for just a little bit longer because they're going to need to bet on Toji. 
Back with Toji, he rubs Playful Cloud together to sharpen its shape. Injured, Dagon barely stands back up and comes to the realization that he's really about to lose to a human without any cursed energy. He attempts to buy time until Megami's domain runs out by levitating in the air, but once again, Naobito is way ahead of him. Naobito leaps on top of Dagon's head and stops his progress. Seeing this, Toji stacks Playful Cloud's three sections on top of each other to vault himself into the air directly at Dagon. The curse puts up his guard, but Toji stabs Playful Cloud straight through his face. Dagon believes he can still fight, but Toji brutally threads Playful Cloud through Dagon's head and stabs him in the eye as well. He then breaks the chain connecting the three section staff together and rapidly uses both sharpened sides to obliterate Dagon, actually like shanking the Shikigami to death. The domain is dispelled and Maki is shocked that one lone fighter was able to exercise such a powerful curse spirit single handedly. Megami is exhausted from holding his domain for so long and takes the moment to catch his breath. Nanami knows that if Megami hadn't shown up, they would have all been killed, but now they have a new problem. They can't be sure if Toji is on their side or not. Toji is still fighting on instinct, bearing his fangs at the strongest person around. Megami may be exhausted, but he's by far the least injured. So Toji drags him outside of the station in an instant. Before Megami can even process what's happening, he finds himself outside on the road. Megami lands safely, but he looks back across the street at his opponent with a surprised expression. He claims that this ridiculous level of speed even passes Sukuna's from back when they fought earlier in the series. Honestly, love how Megami doesn't even realize that this guy's actually his dad. I really, really can't wait for the day in the series where he finally finds out who Toji Fushiguro is, or like who Toji Zenin is, because that's who he knows him as, I'm pretty sure. Maki yells out of concern for Megami, but she's immediately interrupted by a new presence behind her. Jogo arrives, mourning Dagon and bidding farewell to his friend. Jogo tells Dagon to leave the rest to him and then looks forward to their reunion in the wastelands. Within a second, Jogo then has his palm placed on Anami's waist. He says, that's one, and blasts him with an explosive wave of cursed flames. Before Maki can even yell out, Jogo lights her on fire as well. He says, that's two, and moves to claim a third victim. However, Naobito gets behind Jogo, surprising the curse with his speed. Naobito's innate technique, Projection Sorcery, divides a single second into 24 frames and uses his field of view as the projection's angle of view. By doing so, Naobito can trace a predetermined set of movements to perform within those 24 set frames. Additionally, anything touched by Naobito's palm who doesn't abide by the 24fps rule while moving will be frozen in an animation frame for one second. So pretty much they have to do the exact same thing as Naobito, otherwise they'll be frozen in a frame and he'll be able to hit them. The predetermined set of movements cannot be adjusted once started, and its trajectory cannot excessively ignore the law of physics. Naobito was born with a natural sense of strategic timing and movements, so much so he was deemed the fastest Jujutsu sorcerer excluding Gojo. That being said, this was when Naobito still had both arms, which is kind of like a big oof moment right there. Two small volcanic openings suddenly appear behind Naobito, and he cannot avoid the crossing heatwaves in time, so he is heavily burnt by Jogo's technique. Jogo says that that's three and prepares to finish off Naobito when Sukuna's strong presence abruptly gives him the chills and grabs his attention. 
Meanwhile, Nanako and Mimiko, remember what was going on with that with Sukuna's finger? They force feed him one of Sukuna's fingers and Joko then finds them soon after. So those battles were like kind of going on simultaneously. So you kind of get an understanding of how like the fights are working right now. Things are going on at the same time as this is going on. So it's all very, very confusing. Annoyed, he demands to know how many fingers they feed him, but the girls quickly flee. While Sukuna's marks still remain on Yuji's face, Joko decides to make the best of the situation. Geto informed Joko beforehand that if Yuji ate a finger for a day for 20 days, he probably wouldn't lose control of his body to Sukuna. In contrast though, feeding Yuji 10 fingers at once might temporarily force him to lose control. Joko takes out a small scroll of 10 fingers and tells the King of Curses that it's time for him to wake up. Oh yes, it's that time of the freaking battle, it's time for the man himself. Joko looks over to see Mimiko and Nanako. They're alive, but they didn't manage to escape the station completely. Joko also notices that their faces indicate they're afraid and surmises that they likely can't use another curse technique to get out of harm's way. While he was distracted though, the silly volcano doesn't even realize the hand holding Yuji's face had been cut clean off. Joko and the girls are both shocked as an ominous voice demands him to move. Jogo darts away to position himself next to the sisters. He notices that in comparison to Gojo, Sukuna's aura is filled with an overwhelming malice. Honestly, I, I wonder if something bad happened in his past that sends Sukuna down like an evil path in comparison to like Gojo having like the good mindset and changing from what he thought earlier on, you know, like in, in the last arc. Just an idea because I think, I honestly think Sukuna used to be a human and he's turned into a cursed spirit because people became to fear him over time. Anyway, Nanako believes even one movement will result in instant than death. She tells herself to just breathe, but she's unsure if even that's safe. Sukuna faces them and says they're holding their heads a little too high. The girls instantly drop along with Jogo, but his isn't low enough. Sukuna creates a giant gash in the wall behind the trio that cuts off the top of Jogo's head. The cursed spirit begins to bleed profusely across his face as Sukuna tells him that one knee was still too high. Sukuna walks up to the girls and Anako uses this chance to ask Sukuna if he can free Suguru Geto by killing the person inhabiting his body. Nanako claims to know where another finger is and will tell Sukuna in exchange for helping them. Sukuna tells the girls to raise their heads and gives them a smirk. Suddenly, Mimiko's head is severed. Displeased, Sukuna asks if Nanako thought she could order him around for just a few fingers. Desperate for revenge, Nanako aims her cell phone camera at Sukuna and attempts to activate her innate technique. Sukuna activates his first though and slices the top half of Nanako's head clean off. He follows up by dismantling her entire body into tiny cubes then literally slices her into nothing but a gruesome spray of blood. Sukuna catches Nanako's phone and surmises that the camera is connected to her curse technique. Sukuna says Jogo is next and asks what he needs. However, Jogo doesn't claim to need anything. This confuses Sukuna and Jogo clarifies his objective is to simply fully revive him. Jogo implores Sukuna to make a binding vow that will let him take over Yuji's body permanently. Sukuna refuses this though and reveals he has his own plans, surprising Jogo. Amused by the cursed spirit's desperation, Sukuna offers a token of his appreciation for the ten fingers. He challenges Jogo to land even one hit on him. If Jogo can achieve this, Sukuna agrees to work with his group for now and kill every human in Shibuya except for one, to which Jogo willingly accepts. Meanwhile, back with father and son, Megumi tries to visualize winning, but Toji is far too much of a monster to even fathom defeating. Megumi activates his rabbit escape when both fighters notice Sukuna's presence suddenly appearing in Shibuya. 
Megami uses the torrent of rabbits as a distraction to create distance from his adversary. He also summons Toad and asks himself why he just felt Sukuna. Toji instinctively charges into the swarm of rabbits and nearly stabs Megami with his sharp and playful cloud, but Megami dives onto the ground and avoids it. Running low on cursed energy, Megami's sole advantage is that Shoko is stationed somewhere in Shibuya. Flashing over there, Yaga says Ajichi and Ino would both have perished if not for her, but Joko says that that's only thanks to the principal's quick thinking. They set up the station before Nanami even contacted them, freeing him to help up with the mission. Honestly, I think uh, I think Yaga might actually be the mole who was feeding stuff to the higher-ups and it wasn't even Kikichi in the first place. Back in the battle, Toji chases after Megami and nearly stabs him from behind. Luckily, Toad's tongue pulled Megami away down an alleyway to avoid the attack. Megami understands that Toji made short work of a special grade and his Shikigami are no match for him. He needs to focus on sacrificing his body rather than his Shikigami and decides it's best to limit any injuries to something Shoko can quickly handle. As Toji stands at the end of the alleyway, Megumi surmises that he has to predict his opponent's timing because of his speed and understands that any flaws in timing will surely result in death. Toji suddenly blitzes Megumi and nearly stabs him again, but his foot submerged inside Megumi's shadows. Megumi summons a sword from his shadows and attempts to stab Toji with it. However, Toji disappears in an instant, avoiding it with insane speed. Megumi believes that he's out of options when Toji suddenly recalls a memory of his past. It was the time when Toji agreed to meet with Neobito in order to sell his son to the Zenon family. Toji believed that Megami would have potential and he could possibly make something of himself in the future. Toji never fit in but he thought that it would be the best way to take care of him in the long run. After not speaking a word since Megami met him, Toji suddenly asks Megami what his name is, to which the goat answers perfectly, saying, Fushiguro. Proud that his son chose Fushiguro over Zenin, Toji stabs himself in the head, killing his vessel in order to save his son from his mindless rampage. His body collapses, shocking Megami with the outcome of it all. And honestly, this is why Toji is a goat. Like, yeah, he's strong and his battles are probably the most hype at this point, but the dude literally killed himself for his son. As soon as he knew it was him, he instantly did it. Like, pure Chad dad. As soon as he knew that his son chose Fushiguro over Zenin, he was like, yeah, man, I'm out of here. Megami kneels down and examines the body of his deceased opponent. He notices that his face has changed back into Ogami's grandson and admits he was lucky that this man decided to end it. Megumi thinks about what Neobito said about Toji and what his opponent said about rejecting the Zenins. However, Megumi is still injured from the fight and decides to go see Shoko as soon as possible. Suddenly, Megami is slashed from behind by the dickhead creeper Shigimo. Shigimo's nose and teeth are still broken from his fight with Nanami, but he's alive and somehow moving. Meanwhile, the Kusakabe team wanders aimlessly around Shibuya. Inumaki confirmed he relocated all of the civilians somewhere safe, and that Satoru Gojo has been sealed. Panda believes they need to hurry, but Kusakabe keeps coming up with excuses to keep Panda's urgency at bay. The Kusakabe team is interrupted by the appearance of two curse users, Suda and Nigai, or Suda and Nigi, I don't know how to say. <laughs> they are two former commanders of Geto, and three of their foot soldiers are behind Kusakabe and Panda as well. Kusakabe relishes the opportunity to fight with other sorcerers because it can buy him more time. He asks for the sorcerers' motivations and tells them to take as much time as they want. Minami reveals that they've inherited Sugaru Geto's will. She and Negai intend on helping Big Prank Geto now, despite Mimiko and Nanako's misgivings. 
Skipping forward to the conclusion of Minami's story, she asks if Kusakabe surrenders. Kusakabe is disappointed the story finished quickly, but is still happy as the situation is too good to pass up. Kusakabe activates the new shadow style Evening Moon sword drawing. Nego takes that as his enemy's answer and begins activating a technique of his own. Their fight is abruptly interrupted by an explosion that detonates an entire building behind Negai. There, Sukuna pummels Jogo through the air and dominates their fight. As the latter falls, injured with blood spilling from his mouth, Sukuna asks if that's all he's got. And Jogo replies, not yet. Jogo prepares a fire attack by concentrating flames between his palms, but Sukuna uses his innate technique to slash Jogo's arms apart. While the cursed spirit is still reeling, Sukuna smashes his head with a violent hammer fist. The impact sends Jogo crashing towards the ground, but Sukuna catches up to him with a quick dive in order to smash his face directly into the top of a tall building. Sukuna and Jogo crash through all of the floors of the skyscraper which severely injures Jogo. As the moonlight shines through the broken roof of the building, Sukuna looks down on Jogo and says, the moon's illumination makes it easier to see how pathetic he is. As Jogo struggles to regenerate his dismantled jaw among other injuries, he recalls Geto telling him his strength is comparable to Sukuna with 8 or 9 fingers absorbed. Despite knowing he'd be outmatched, Jogo contemplates to himself that he didn't expect the difference in their strength to be this great. Sukuna suddenly appears behind Jogo. The King of Curses grabs his opponent's collar and lifts him up, telling him to keep going until the fun stops. Flames erupt from all of the forcefully opened holes in the building, further destroying the structure. Sukuna though escapes out of the building into the street. Chasing him, Jogo follows up using his strongest curse technique, Maximum Meteor. For those who don't know what a maximum technique is, pretty much that there is just like the strongest kind of like innate or like ability that someone can use outside of a domain. Anyway, anyway, the Kusakabe team and the cursed users around them notice the battle going on nearby. Kusakabe and Panda attempt to flee and are intercepted by Negai and Suda's henchmen. Suda tells the underlings they don't have time to fight, but Kusakabe quickly cuts them down with new shadow style battle sword drawing. Kusakabe tells the remaining sorcerers they need to flee and get away from the fighting special grades. However, Sukuna appears next to Kusakabe in an instant and says he wouldn't allow any human to run. Sukuna declares that all humans in his vicinity aren't allowed to move until he says so, or else he will kill them. This leaves all of the sorcerers forced to watch as Maximum Mesia falls, drawing closer to killing them all. A few moments later, Sukuna finally lets them all run. However, this gives them little to no time as Maximum Mesia crashes into Shibuya, decimating the entire area with its impact. Tired from unleashing his Maximum technique, Jogo stands atop it, huffing for air. After catching his breath, he smirks and says, even an attack that powerful must have injured Sukuna. Sukuna's voice tells Jogo that it would only be the case if it had hit. He then appears sitting beside him, as if he was never in danger. He asks Jogo why he won't use his domain expansion. Jogo admits he would lose in a domain struggle between them, and Sukuna believes his lack of confidence stems from losing to Gojo in the past. Entertained, Sukuna stands up and suggests he begin fighting using Jogo's specialty. This here is freaking dope by the way man, like, like Sukuna starts speaking in tongues, like we don't even know what this guy said. Sukuna does something like no one even knows yet to allow him to open and manipulate flames. Joku is confused, prompting Sukuna to realise a cursed spirit wouldn't understand this technique. Sukuna tells Joku to get ready for a fire powered battle. Sukuna and Jogo stand atop the flaming remains of Maximum Meteor. Sukuna creates an arrow of flames from his palms while Jogo swirls his flames into a small fireball made of compressed energy. Sukuna takes aim by keeping the arrow fully formed between his fingers while, 
in, yeah, good old Gige, couldn't even write it down. Jogo enters a fantasy alongside his deceased allies, Hanami and Dagon. Death is something humans fear. It is a mirror for humanity, and the Hito is a manifestation of that reflection. He will continue to grow stronger. Jogo believes when they're all reborn, they'll become new entities. Despite this, he hopes all of them will be able to reunite someday. Sticking to his ideology to the end, Jogo says that cursed spirits are the true humans when randomly Sukuna abruptly enters the fantasy and asks Jogo if he wanted to become human. Sukuna knows Jogo means he wants curses to take the place of humans but believes this is foolish. Jogo should have burned everything to a cinder without a second thought to reach new heights, without ever being concerned about Gojo. Sukuna believes Jogo lacked the hunger to take a hold of such desires, but even so, the battle still entertained him. Sukuna admits that compared to everyone else he has fought over the last millennia, Jogo isn't half bad. He commends him, telling him to stand proud because he's strong. Acknowledged for his strength, Jogo sheds a tear and asks what's going on. Back in reality, Sukuna answers Jogo's smoldering corpse, claiming that he doesn't know either. Immediately after, the monk Arume comes to escort Master Sukuna, which leaves him surprised as he is someone from the past. Elsewhere, at 11.07pm, exhausted and injured, Megami slowly walks away from his assailant. He tells Shigemo that the Ten Shadows technique begins when the sorcerer who inherited the technique receives two divine dogs. Remember this battle was going on between Shigemo and Megami? In order to use other Shikigami, they must be summoned and defeated by the sorcerer with the help of the divine dogs. This allows the user to gain more Shikigami, repeating this method until they can amass up to 10 different ones. Uninterested in Megami's stalling, Shigemo asks if the sorcerer is done talking. Megami crosses the road away from the curse user, leaving a trail of blood behind from his injuries. Shigemo notices that Megami isn't letting him get close despite being on his last legs. Even so, Shigemo feels like he won't even need to finish off his adversary. Moments later, Megami collapses and hits the ground with a hard thunt, proving this point. Megami struggles to get back up, but continues to divulge how his technique works either way, saying that other people can help with the exorcism ritual, but this will nullify the technique once it is defeated. This makes it a pointless exorcism, but even a pointless exorcism has its uses. Gojo Sensei explained to Megami why the Zenin family and Gojo family are on such bad terms. Hundreds of years ago, the heads of each household killed each other in a battle. The Gojo family head was a limitless user with the six eyes, and the Zenin family head possessed the Ten Shadows technique. Satoru implied that Megami could possibly rise to his level one day. However, in the present, Megami still doesn't quite believe he could become stronger than his mentor. So in a moment of utter despair, he decides to use his last resort, as he believes the head of the household at that time that defeated the six eyes to use the Ten Shadows technique this way as well. Meanwhile, Jogo's Maxima Meteor hits the ground in the distance, getting Shigemo's attention. He asks himself who the show-off could be, and Megami redirects his attention back to his explanation. Megami finishes divulging his technique by revealing that a Ten Shadows technique user cannot use a Shikigami unless it has been exercised. However, they can be summoned at any time using an exorcism ritual. Shigemo turns back around and notices Megami's sudden influx of cursed energy. The Jujutsu High student claims that not a single Ten Shadows technique user has ever been able to exercise the Shikigami he is about to bring forth. Megami summons the eight-handed sword divergent Scylla Divine General Maharaga, dragging his opponent into an unbeatable exorcism ritual. 
Shigemo realizes the grim situation he's currently in, and Megami, who's also on his last legs, silently apologizes to Yuji for what he's done, then tells Shigemo good luck before passing on. Maharaga thumps Megami aside, sending him into a nearby building and knocking him out. Shigemo is shocked by Megami's willingness to sacrifice himself and curses him for it, demanding the Jujutsu Sorcerer get back up and stop this cruel game. Back with Sukuna, after defeating Jogo and encountering Arume, he feels something is up and leaves the monk behind after telling them not to neglect their preparations. Sukuna disappears and Arume says they'll be awaiting his return. Honestly, this here is just kind of like screaming to me that Sukuna knows something about Big Brain Ghetto's plans and he might have even had something to do with it in the past overall, you know what I mean? Just before Maharaga crushes Shigemo, Sukuna saves the curse user. He reads the situation instantly and recognizes that Megami is in a suspended state of death. To prevent this, Sukuna uses a reverse curse technique to heal Megami, telling him that there's still something he needs the student to do. Shigemo wants to comment, but Sukuna tells him to stay there and stay quiet. Sukuna surmises that in order to save Megami, he needs to defeat the Shikigami. Sukuna takes his fighting pose and says he'd like to begin the battle with just a little taste. Maharaga attacks, swinging down the blade attached to its fist. Sukuna blocks with his forearm, creating a shockwave that knocks Shigemo off balance. Sukuna notices that the blade is emitting a strange energy and gets out of the way before it breaks through his defense. While in Medea, Sukuna delivers a flurry of left-handed punches and follows up by unleashing his curse technique, Dismantle, which slices the Shikigami's body all over. While Maharaga recovers from the blows, Sukuna recognizes the specialized blade as a curse tool for cursed spirits called the Sword of Extermination. The blade is enveloped in positive energy, similar to what's produced by a reverse curse technique. If Sukuna was a normal curse spirit, he would have been sliced clean through. The eight-handed wheel on Maharaga's head turns, suddenly healing all of its wounds. Sukuna quickly attacks again, but this time his slashing technique is deflected by the Shikigami, surprising him. Maharaga swings its blade again and Sukuna prepares to block, but this time it's immediately broken and he's sent crashing through several buildings from the impact. Amused, Sukuna admits that his opponent isn't half bad. In an instant, Maharaga clears the area it just hit Sukuna across to follow up with another attack. It attempts to stab Sukuna in the face, but he jumps above the blade, kicking his opponent at the same time. Sukuna mounts his giant opponent's arm and places his right arm on Ishikigami's face, stating that it's his turn now. Sukuna activates his slashing technique, slicing the entire building in half. The impact sends Ishikigami falling out of the structure, only for Sukuna to follow up and kick it straight into the ground. He lands beside the Shikigami and assumes it will heal again based on his observations. The eight-handed wheel turns and all of its injuries disappear just as expected. Sukuna compares this ability to Yamato no Orochi for us webs that want to know is like a legendary eight-headed and eight-tailed Japanese dragon. Think like Orochimaru when he comes out of Sasuke and Itachi ends up shanking him with that dope-ass sword. That's kind of like what I'm thinking here. I'm pretty sure it's taken off that same kind of idea. Maharaga's first attack was reinforced positive energy. When that didn't work, it adapted and reinforced its second attack with cursed energy. Additionally, it was able to see Sukuna's curse technique and deflect it. Both of these things happened after the eight-handled wheel turned for the first time. Furu's incarnation of the ten sacred treasures and the eight-handed wheel represents a complete cycle of harmony. With this information, Sukuna deduces that the Shikigami's technique allows it to adapt to any and all phenomena. Sukuna admits that if Megami had unleashed this creature when they fought the first time, it may have been able to beat him. He thanks Megami for showing him the way and activates his freaking domain expansion, the insane, malevolent shrine. 
man, I, I honestly just love how much Gege goes into depth on Japanese mythology, along with like Indian and Chinese and other like sick as fuck cultures and like intertwines them all into a story. And like, it really reminds me of what it felt like back when I was a little kid to probably get into a series like Bleach or Naruto. It's, it's just so good. I absolutely love it. Sukuna's technique is divided into two types of slashing attacks, the default slash dismantle and the other cleave. The latter can be adjusted using cursed energy to cut down the target in one fell swoop. Malevolent Shrine, unlike other domain expansions, does not manifest a separate space using a barrier. Manifesting one's innate domain without a barrier is akin to painting a masterpiece on air without a canvas, a truly divine and unparalleled technique. By allowing an escape route from the domain using a binding vow, Sukuna increases the guaranteed hit accuracy to nearly a 200 meter radius. He narrows down the effective range to 140 meters to avoid hitting Megami, but mercilessly slashes the rest of Shibuya apart. Civilians who are hiding out nearby after being rescued by Inumaki are violently torn to pieces. Dismantle is used on inanimate objects while anything with cursed energy within a range is hit with cleave. While Malevolent Shrine is active, Sukuna's slashing attacks relentlessly cut down on everything within its guaranteed hit's effective range. With around 150 meters of Shibuya decimated in an instant, Sukuna surmises that the only way to defeat Maharaga is to kill it with a new attack before it can recover. However, Maharaga has not only adapted to dismantle, but to slashing attacks in general, meaning Sukuna needs to act quickly. He activates his mysterious flame technique again and shoots a fire arrow at the Shikigami before it heals. The impact creates a giant barrier of explosive flame that completely decimates the hellish creature. The King of Curses walks back to Megami with Maharaga's wheel in hand. He throws the eight-handled wheel past Shigimo and it disintegrates shortly after, solidifying Sukuna's victory. Annoyed, Sukuna asks Shigimo what he's looking at and tells him to disappear from sight. Feeling extremely lucky, Shigimo runs off, excited to have escaped another dangerous situation. His innate technique stores little miracles from every day that are released to save his life when he's in danger. The markings under his eyes show how many miracles are stored, but he's not even aware how it works exactly. Believing he's escaped the day with his life, Shigemo runs off. However, his body suddenly sliced apart as he accidentally runs into Sukuna's domain. His body gruesomely falls into two separate pieces and Shigemo finally dies. Finally, out of like every death that has happened so far throughout the Shibuya arc, this is at least one of the most freaking deserved deaths. Dude didn't realize his luck ran out after Nanami beat his freaking ass. Anyway, anyway, as Sukuna walks off, he can feel himself finally losing control and decides to take Megami to where Shoko and the principal are. After dropping Megami off, Sukuna returns to the area in front of Shibuya. With his grip over Yuji's body loosening, he switches control back over to the brat and tells him to take a good look. As Yuji stands there, he's faced with the wasteland that used to be Doganzaka District. Shigemo's corpse is in plain view as the first thing for Yuji to see as well. Initially dumbfounded, Yuji collapses as memories from Sukuna's rampage invade his mind. He vomits and cries after realizing that Sukuna murdered several people, including Mimiko, Nanako, and heavily endangering his friends and colleagues. As tears fall from his eyes and he huffs for air, he tells himself to just die already. He frantically begins scratching around the ground and continuing to tell himself to die as his grandfather's words play over and over in his head. Suddenly, Yuji stops and sits still for a moment before raising his head and declaring that he still needs to fight. Meanwhile, inside Shibuya Station, the GOAT, Nanami, despite being severely injured by Dagon's death swarm and Jogo's flames, is still alive and somehow walking around with his sword. 
the left half of his body is completely scorched, including the entire side of his face. He walks past the photo booth while traversing slowly down the hallway. After Nanami passes by, Mahito sneakily watches a move through the station until the sorcerer encounters a large group of transfigured humans. After descending the stairs and coming face to face with the swarm, Nanami begins to daydream about Malaysia. He wishes he could have built a house on a secluded beach and read the countless books he never got around to finishing, and admits to himself that he's getting tired. Yeah, I think, I think I'm all about to hurt your souls with this one here, boys. Nanami asks himself if he's done enough already, but continues to fight. He ferociously slices through the transfigured humans with his blunt sword until a familiar hand touches his chest. Nanami looks up to see Mahito and claims he didn't know the curse spirit was around. Mahito replies that he's been here the whole time and asks if the sorcerer would like to chat since they go way back. Instead of replying, Nanami looks down and speaks to you. He wonders why he came back to being a sorcerer himself and asks Hayabara what he was trying to do. Yuhayabara's spirit appears and points Nanami to his right. Nanami looks over to find Yuji entering the station down the hall. Man, this is so messed up. He tells Hayabara that he doesn't want to end up cursing the young man. So like a damn king in his last moments, Nanami smiles to his protege and tells him that he's got it from here. Mahito promptly kills Nanami by totally destroying the upper half of his body, shocking the poor Yuji. Enraged, in the next moment, Yuji rushes Mahito, ready to take revenge for his fallen mentor. Mahito calmly flicks a small transfigured human at Yuji and transforms it into one that can produce spikes from its head. Yuji avoids the spike attacks, but Mahito uses the transfigured humans to get behind Yuji and prepare his soul multiplicity technique. He follows up by unleashing Body Repel, a reaction that's due to the soul's rejection of the fusion. Mahito unleashes a long transfigured human that attempts to bite Yuji with its giant mouth. Yuji successfully grips its teeth and stops the attack, but Mahito appears from inside its mouth and lands a violent right that smashes Yuji's face and splits it open. Yuji asks how Mahito can toy so aimlessly with people's lives and the cursed spirit just laughs at him. Mahito doesn't look for a reason and he isn't remorseful in the slightest. The best answer Mahito can give is a demonstration. He creates Junipei's face with one hand and stabs it with the other, claiming Yuji and him are the same. Yuji tells Mahito he talks too much and that he will ensure that those are his dying words. He removes the blood from his face, stopping the bleeding and revealing a large scar. Nanami's voice reminds Yuji that he must remain calm, so as he takes his fighting stance, he allows cursed energy to flow calmly from his hands as he is determined to prove that he is a Jujutsu sorcerer. Mahito matches Yuji by concentrating cursed energy into his own fists while contemplating his strategy. Idle Transfiguration doesn't work on Yuji, so Mahito decides maintaining his body's toughness is likely what Yuji believes is best for him. But instead, Mahito won't change his soul's shape at all, and now plans to stab Yuji through his heart in one attack. But when his fist pierces through the air, Yuji suddenly disappears from his sight. Using the momentum from getting to this lower position, Yuji then strikes Mahito in the face with the manji kick. Yuji then follows up by front kicking Mahito as well, but the curse quickly transforms his arm into a spiked vine that forces Yuji back. Impressed, Mahito admits that his technique wasn't half bad, and announces that it's time to move on to round 2. Mahito and Yuji continue fighting in Shibuya. The cursed spirit attempts to slash Yuji, but the latter jumps over the attack. 
After missing, Maheso runs and uses a delayed transfiguration to catch Yuji off guard. He avoids it again and Maheso follows up with a punching attack from a large enhanced extra arm wrapped around his torso. Like he's out of freaking Afro Samurai or something with an extra arm. Yuji catches the attack and Maheso immediately recognizes the danger this presents. Yuji counters, but Mahito immediately dismembers his own arm out of fear. He runs through the ticket gate and merges back with his severed arm once they're at a safe distance. Mahito knows attacking directly is a big risk for him, so he decides to stick to using transfigured humans. However, reducing risk isn't the only reason for the strategy. Mahito then runs into a different area in the station and disappears from Yuji's sight. The young student gets spotted by two civilians who warn him it's dangerous to be lurking around. Yuji believes Mahito had run upstairs and tries to tell the two non-sorcerers to hide. Suddenly, Mahito's arm appears from the inside of their mouths and punches Yuji. The special grade climbs out of the man as if he was shedding his skin and transforms the other civilian into a sword. Honestly, man, like, I forgot about this part. Like, this is some next level sneakery. It's just pure gangster by Mahito, man. Like, turning a person's body into a sword is so freaking cool. Anyways, Mahito tells his adversary to work on his imagination. Skipping back to nearly two hours ago in Shibuya Station, around the time Mahito, Choso, and Jogo began their hunt for Yuji, in order to find Yuji first, Mahito had split himself into two. Presently, Mahito's other self encounters Nabara in an alleyway. She recognizes him from past reports from Yuji. Mahito takes it as a compliment that he's famous, but Nobara claims that he's only known for being a coward. Amused, Mahito decides to kill her. Nobara tries to remember what it was like to unleash the Black Flash, attempting to tap into the core of cursed energy. In a short exchange, Nobara manages to get the better of Mahito using clever explosions of her pins and the environment around them. He admits that she isn't half bad but doesn't believe her attacks can actually bring him harm. The cursed spirit understands that Nobara is an ally of Yuji's and plans to bring her corpse to him and destroy his soul. So yeah, get ready. At 11.14pm, after Nanami left Nobara and Akari behind, the first year student refused to leave with the paramedics team. They didn't tell Nobara that Shoko was in the Shibuya district so she didn't do anything reckless. However, she ignored Nanami's orders to stay out anyway and went off alone. Back on the clock at 11.20pm inside of the station, Mahito skewers three innocent civilians and uses them to attack Yuji as he comes up the stairs. Yuji checks on the conditions of one of the injured people, only for them to transfigure and explode. The blood gets in Yuji's eyes, leaving him vulnerable to an attack from behind. Mahito transforms his arm into a spiked club and prepares to finish him off. Meanwhile, in an alley nearby, Mahito is still clashing with Nobara. She avoids his hands, but Mahito's double can't transfigure other souls anyway. This double attacks by transfiguring himself since this isn't Yuji and he doesn't incur any risks. Nobara tries to trade blows, but it doesn't seem to work. Mahito casually avoids Nobara's projectile nails as she climbs up the side of the alley onto a higher platform. She drops several nails at Mahito's feet and detonates them with the hairpin before coming back down, confusing Mahito with her movements. While he's focused on Nobara, she activates Hairpin again and her curse energy extends them into Mahito's lower body, immobilizing him. Nobara mounts Mahito while he's injured, but he doesn't see any potential danger regardless. However, unbeknownst to the special grade, Nobara has figured out a way to attack his soul. Mahito realizes Nobara was bluffing about not having a plan, but it was too late. She hammers a nail directly into his forehead and activates resonance. By using Mahito's body as the effigy, Nobara can use her curse technique to attack his soul. As a result, Resonance also relays from the double to the original soul and rebounds the damage back, greatly injuring them both. 
Back in the other fight, this injury just happens to stop him from finishing Yuji off. Yuji manages to open his eyes and recognizes Nobara's needle sticking out of the curse's chest. Mahito's double is shocked and realizes that Yuji isn't his only natural enemy. The girl of steel standing before him can attack his soul as well. Nobara reveals that she felt her cursed energy activate somewhere else nearby. Additionally, she doesn't feel Mahito's cursed energy is as strong as it should be. She surmises that Mahito is simply a double that can't properly use his innate technique. Amused, Mahito licks the blood dripping from his face and admits his adversary is completely correct. Recognizing his classmate's cursed technique, Yuji capitalizes and pummels Mahito with rapid fire cursed energy infused punches. While Yuji bashes Mahito into a pillar with a relentless barrage, he solemnly thanks Nabara. Yuji believes he hasn't been able to save anyone and that he's wasted everyone's efforts, but Nabara's help has shown him he's still not alone. Inspired by Nabara, Yuji keeps the pressure on and prepares to exercise Mahito here and now. Meanwhile, in the alley, the nail drops from Mahito's double's forehead as he affirms her theory about him. Nobara believes the real duel begins now, but the double decides to run away instead and heads directly into the subway entrance. Nobara could just ignore him, but she has a bad feeling about letting him run loose and decides to exercise him. Before Yuji can finish off Mahito's main body, the special grace splits into several small spherical versions of himself that run across the room. One of them flares up its cursed energy as a feint to get Yuji's attention and allow the others to escape. The other doubles then reform into Mahito's body as he runs away. Both Mahitos enter the same corridor with the two Jujutsu High students chasing them. Yuji initially believes Mahito is trying to heal until he sees Nobara. He immediately yells for her to run away, realizing the danger she's suddenly in. Since Mahito isn't able to use the idle transfiguration technique on Yuji, he made the second body that can't use idle transfiguration attack Yuji and his other body that can use idle transfiguration attack Nobara. As Nobara and Mahito fight, he was able to touch her and used his idle transfiguration. Nobara holds her face and recalls everyone in the village she was from being crazy. She used to believe that lots of people were crazy and got in the way of other people's lives, but that was until she attended Jujutsu High and learned that being crazy isn't so bad after all. She pictures the images of all of her friends and apologizes to Fumi for being unable to meet her again in the future. Nobara looks at Yuji and tells him to make sure everyone knows it wasn't so bad and as she says that, Nobara's face swells up around her left eye and bursts from the effects of Mahito's technique. Yuji watches in horror as Nobara's eye shoots violently out of her head and her blood splatters on his face. Nobara lays before Yuji, missing an eye and likely dead. Losing to Choso, Sukuna's rampage and Nanami's death had already taken a toll on Yuji's resolve. Having reached its limit a long time ago, Yuji's spirit breaks after Nobara is unable to answer and he desperately screams her name. This douche, happy with himself, commends his own talents and believes he is a true curse. He then successfully unleashes a damn black flash on Yuji just to follow up on his already dying soul. Mahito's black flash sends Yuji crashing through the station. The special grade continues to beat on him while exposing Yuji's determination for being weak. Mahito believes that it isn't simply a battle to fix something, this is a war of truths. He believes Yuji is the same as him because he kills without hesitation, just as Yuji saves people without a second thought. I truly do love how well Mahito like, has been written as a character, like I freaking hate this guy so damn much. Like, damn, 
Tamdu. Mahito believes that this conflict will determine which of the two remains 100 years from now. After thoroughly beating Yuji down, both mentally and physically, Mahito asks his student how he ever planned on winning and if he's ever counted how many curses he's exercised. Mahito has never cared about how many people he's killed, and he believes he'll forget about Yuji eventually. He morphs his arm into a praying mantis-like claw and attempts to kill Yuji. However, there is a clapping noise, and suddenly, Mahito is displaced. You guys know what freaking time it is right now. Our boy, our brother, Toto, the eternal brother, appears just in time, having used Boogie Woogie to switch places with Mahito. He says that the prosperous have no choice but to eventually decline. Nita also joins the scene after treating Obara. Toto mostly tells him to help his brother Yuji next before telling his nearly defeated friend that he must wake up. Helpless and trembling on the ground in front of them, Yuji explains that he cannot fight anymore. Not only did Nobara perish in front of his eyes, but Nanami was killed by Mahito as well. To add to Yuji's suffering, Sukuna slaughtered potentially dozens of people and Yuji felt he needed to help others to compensate. However, he feels he failed completely. Crying and withering on the ground, Yuji expresses that he simply can't forgive himself. Enticed by Yuji's suffering, Mahito jumps at the group of sorcerers with his arms shaped into a thorn-like weapon. Toto claps his hand and activates Boogie Woogie to switch Mahito's position in the air with Arata behind him. Mahito attempts to turn around and attack Toto, but the student suddenly switches the curse's position with Yuji. Taken off guard, Mahito is left wide open to a powerful kick that sends him reeling towards Arata. Toto quickly swaps Arata and Mahito again and takes position in front of his juniors to face off against the special grade alone. Now what an absolute G man. Mahito laughs and admits to himself that Toto is extremely disorientating. At the same time, Toto tells Yuji that he believes as long as they keep on living, those who have passed on will never truly have been defeated. He adds that looking for logic and meaning and death can defile the memories of the dead, but Toto still asks Yuji for what he's been entrusted with. Toto tells Yuji that he doesn't need to answer him right now. However, until he does, the first year can never stop fighting. He expresses this to Yuji and runs ahead to fight Mahito alone. Arata quickly treats Yuji's injuries by applying his curse technique. He informs Yuji that his injuries won't get any worse from here on out unless he sustains new ones. Arata has already done the same for Nobara. He admits that she didn't have a pulse and isn't breathing, but encourages Yuji by adding that there is a chance of survival. Arata then takes Nobara and retreats out of the station. Mahito attacks Toto and tries to split himself into a few different ways to outmaneuver his opponent. However, Toto proves to be too efficient at avoiding Mahito. A small transfigured human behind Toto transforms into a large spike, but the third year avoids the attack. Mahito is disappointed his opponent didn't even clap. Even so, he's confident after tapping into the power of Black Flash. He believes it's drawing him ever closer to the true essence of his soul. Toto suddenly claps and interrupts Mahito's train of thought. Yuji appears before the cursed spirit, back in the fight. He charges his fist with cursed energy and reminds himself of Nanami's last words. Focused and recommitted on the battle, Yuji unleashes Black Flash on Mahito, destroying the curse's arm. Mahito is knocked back but quickly heals his wound. Amused, the curse smiles and says that Yuji is back from the dead. Toto welcomes him back into the battle as well and Yuji stands, ready to fight beside him. Elsewhere, on a train, Miwa holds one of Mikamaru's communication devices in her hands. 
She's disappointed as Kikichi's voice informs her that the Shibuya incident will be settled at any moment now. He tells her to turn back because it's too late, but Kasumi ignores him and asks why he only allowed Toto and Arata to go. Kikichi doctored the records so that everyone else from the group, including Udahime, would be away from Shibuya on October the 31st. Absolute lad, man. Kasumi asks if she's useless and weak since he didn't entrust her and everyone else to go. Kikichi argues that he's the weak one and admits he made mistakes that he couldn't even go through with. He confesses that there was someone he loved and believed they would be fine regardless of the state of the world as long as they were together. With his time running out, Kikichi says his final goodbyes to Miwa as she cries. Kikichi asks her to find happiness and adds that as long as she does that, his wish will have come true. For a moment, Kikichi appears sitting next to her in the reflection of the window as he says his goodbyes. His image disappears for the last time as she looks up into the window. The other members who were left outside the incident can hear Miwa sadly crying from elsewhere on the train. Mai asks Udahime about Mikamari's betrayal, but Udahime doesn't believe it matters since Kikichi was killed. Keimo is disappointed Mikamaru expected so little from them, but Momo is simply enraged that he made her junior cry. If only they understood, man, what was really going on. Meanwhile, the battle between Mahito and the Jujutsu Sorcerers rages on. With his fighting spirit reignited, Yuji fights effectively alongside Toto to keep Mahito on the defensive. Mahito knows Toto's soul is at full strength and one transfiguration might not be enough to kill him. Yuji's soul is much less stable, but Mahito isn't exactly in great shape either. He feels at less than half of his full strength after having his double destroyed and being hit with a black flash. Mahito plans to deal with Toto switching first and tries to use a transfigured human to distract Yuji. However, Mahito is surprised when Toto uses Boogie Woogie to swap places with the transfigured human. This allows him to get behind Mahito and force the curse to destroy his own weapon at the same time. Toto thinks about feeling like he's being left behind now that Mahito can use Black Flash as well. Yuji refused to get left behind and use the technique during the Goodwill event. Toto refuses to let Yuji feel alone and finally, like the big brother he is, unleashes his own Black Flash pummeling Mahito with a perfect kick. Mahito's arm is broken by Toto's Black Flash but he still doesn't believe Toto will be able to hurt him. Even so, the special grade recognizes that all three fighters have reached 120% of their potential. Mahito then voluntarily vomits up several miniature transfigured humans and combines them using soul multiplicity. Mahito immediately activates body repel, creating multiple transfigured snake-like heads that attempt to chomp at his enemies. As the attack breaks through the underground of Shibuya, Yuji and Toto are forced to move and evade all of the attacks in the air. The latter recognizes that Mahito is countering Boogie Woogie by attacking from all directions. Mahito empathetically tells Yuji that it's their last chance to curse one another. Asking if the curse has forgotten about him, Toto swaps all three of their positions so he's holding Mahito, then slams him head first into the ground. Yuji attempts to smash Mahito's head with a kick, but the curse dismembers himself to avoid the blow. The special grade's body grows two eyes and transforms its arm into a blade before rapidly attacking. At the same time, Mahito's head grows a separate body and stands behind his other half to activate soul multiplicity. This time, Mahito combined two souls with weak rejection to form one powerful transfigured human using polymorphic soul icy mur. Toto uses Boogie Boogie to continuously give his side the best spot against the enemy, while believing Mahito's body contains the most of the power, but the head itself is the real him because it used Ida Transfiguration. Before taking out Mahito's real self, Toto attempts to take out the polymorphic Soul Isomur. However, much to his surprise, Toto is suddenly smacked aside with a powerful blow. 
The impact sends him crashing through an entire floor and out the other side into the road, but he still manages to recover his balance. The soul confronts the sorcerer and Toto counterattacks by infusing a rock with cursed energy and swapping places with it behind his opponent. Much to Toto's surprise, one hit was enough to kill the soul Isimur. He surmises that its explosive power was the result of Mahito expanding numerous souls at once to manifest it. There are two more now confronting him and Toto asks for their forgiveness before taking each of them out. While Mahito was free of Boogie Woogie, he decided to pile on the attacks against Yuji. He uses a more ferocious version of Body Repel to attack, but the sorcerer avoids the attack and dropkits Mahito through the air. The curse counters by grabbing Yuji's leg and slamming him onto the ground. When the dust settles from the crash, Mahito attempts to follow up the attack. However, he's irritated to find the top note goat standing back at his brother's side. Mahito is surprised not even two polymorphic isomers were enough to stall or defeat Toto. He can't transfigure Toto without being able to touch him and Sukuni retaliates if Mahito attempts a domain expansion. It's too complex for Mahito to exclude Yuji from a domain's barrier so he decides to take inspiration from the big man himself. The duo are both shocked when Mahito suddenly activates his domain expansion. Just like Gojo, Mahito activates his all or nothing domain expansion for 0.2 seconds, taking both of his opponents completely off guard. Toto acts quickly and activates a simple domain, which he learned from Yuki. Even faster though is Yuji, who's already running towards Mahito in an attempt to exercise him before either transfiguration can activate. However, despite their speed, Mahito was the fastest. The two-step process of realizing one's innate domain and the activation of their curse technique are combined into one by Mahito, who had awakened through Black Flash. As a result of activating his domain expansion, Mahito enters Sukuna's innate domain for a moment. He asks Sukuna if this is a safe place and inquires about his agreement with Yuji. The King of Curses remains silent, but Mahito continues questioning in order to challenge Sukuna. He arrogantly claims Yuji will be dead before Sukuna can even switch places with him and tells the King of Curses to just shut up and watch. <laughs> the balls on this guy, man. As the self-embodiment of perfection ends, Toto's left hand begins to transfigure. Yuji turns around to check on his brother, but Mahito knocks him to the ground while his back is turned. Toto quickly severs his own hand, but this leaves him vulnerable to the approaching special grade. After activating domain expansion, the user's innate technique becomes difficult to control. Mahito became aware of that fact after escaping against Nanami. He instead attacks Toto with a strong punch enhanced by Black Flash that sends Toto into relentless pain. Big Brain Toto though instinctively concentrated all of his cursed energy to defend the blow and minimize all of the damage. Mahito then becomes able to activate Idle Transfiguration again and plans to kill Toto with the next hit. Mahito's focus though is suddenly interrupted when Toto's necklace falls onto the ground and knocks open a small picture frame containing the photos of Yuji and Takada. While his opponent is distracted, Yuji uses Mahito's hand to clap and activate Boogie Woogie. Toto instantly switches places with Yuji, who strikes Mahito in the face with another black flash. Toto collapses and looks at his remaining hand while expressing that he's lucky to be alive. Ready to finish the fight alone now, Yuji looks back at Toto and thanks him for all of his help. Final battle Shibuya finally begins, or is it the final battle? I guess we'll find out. <laughs> I guess we'll find out next. <laughs> Heavily injured, Mahito creates a polymorphic isomer to hold Yuji off. He admits Toto was a problem for him till the very end, but despite his depleting condition, Mahito believes he's found the true essence of his soul. 
Yuji defeats the polymorphic isomer, and as this happens, Mahito evolves into the final stage of his being, emerging from a cocoon of probably cursed stuff, you know, who knows what it is. He then instantly activates idle transfiguration on himself, making himself into an instant spirit body of distorted killing. This form is just like super clean man like it's, it's probably one of gigas out of this world type shit not just a normal like anime character face i love it like made up that's probably why i like it in the midst of the city's ruins yuji glares at his greatest enemy and wonders what his newest transfiguration brings the cursed spirit feels reborn and asks yuji to wish him a happy birthday to celebrate the momental occasion having unleashed black flash mahito believes he has tapped into his true unbridled soul Yuji didn't take his adversary to be one for a self-discovery journey. Amused, Mahito replies that only after killing Yuji does the cursed spirit feel that he can truly be reborn. The two fighters instantly blitz one another to reignite the battle. Mahito makes the first move, creating a shockwave with just a wave of his arm. Yuji ducks under the wave and attacks with a straight kick that's caught by the black hairs protruding from Mahito's head. The curse tries to take the advantage with a tail whip, but Yuji blocks it. He is then able to parry Mahito's punch and counter with an uppercut to his body. However, Yuji's cursed energy infused punch deals absolutely no damage at all. Mahito knocks Yuji away and forces him to realize that the cursed spirit transcended way beyond his former state. They trade blows, but Yuji's attacks are unable to reach his opponent any longer. Yuji is overwhelmed and slammed into the street, creating a giant crater from the impact. The street crumbles apart and Yuji falls down to the bottom. As water fills the bottom of the crater, where Yuji now stands across from Mahito, the former realizes he can only win using a black flash infused punch with maximum cursed energy. Mahito attempts to take advantage of Yuji's small lapse by rushing in. However, the cursed spirit immediately stops. The tendrils on the back of his elbows partially disintegrate and Mahito even coughs up blood. Getting hit by Black Flash so soon after deactivating domain expansion seriously injured Mahito. Amused with their final standoff, Mahito wipes the blood from his mouth and states both of them have plenty left in the tank. Mahito rushes his opponent, creating a giant splash in the water from his incredibly fast movements. Yuji immediately clenches his fist in his palm and charges all of his cursed energy into it. Mahito attempts to attack Yuji from behind, but the sorcerer ducks under in time. The cursed spirit then tries to come at him with a right hook, but Yuji uses the back of his palm to parry it. Having been hit a bunch now, Mahito knows that he's vulnerable to being hit by another one of Yuji's black flash attacks, meaning going in recklessly will only lead to his end. Believing he has a countermeasure in mind, Mahito partially deactivates his distorted killing form on the left side of his body. The special grade believes Yuji will aim at his sweet spot and that will lead to the chance to counter and decapitate him. Yuji indeed does strike at Mahito's left side, appearing to take the bait. But just as Mahito goes for the kill, a second impact throws the trajectory of his strike off. Yuji ducks under Mahito's missed attack and prepares to deliver the final blow. The cursed spirit reinforces the left side with his instant spirit body of distorted killing and tries to hit his opponent first. Suddenly though, our goat, the broski, the bro, the brother, Toto's voice echoes through the battlefield, interrupting Mahito's momentum. Toto tells the cursed spirit that an arm is simply a declaration and an act of applause is an acclamation of one's soul. Damn, this man is a poet, man. Bestro Frendo uses his freaking amputated hand to imitate clapping with his remaining hand. Trying to anticipate the switch, Mahito quickly turns around and attacks. He ends up hitting nothing though and realizes that he's been utterly fooled by Toto one last time. Toto apologizes and claims that Boogie Woogie is already dead. 
Yuji takes advantage of his ally's clever thinking and strikes Mahito with a black flash imbued with maximum cursed energy. The impact from Yuji's blow is so fierce it coats his opponent in a streak of cursed energy that blasts the cursed spirit completely out of the crater. Mahito is heavily injured and forced out of his distorted killing form. Additionally, this special grade is out of transfigured humans. As desperation sets in for Mahito for the first time in his existence, Yuji stands over him. Just as the curse proclaimed earlier in the fight, Yuji admits that he is Mahito. He no longer requires a reason to kill him and will exercise curses no matter what form they take. Fully aware now that he's nothing but a cog in the struggle between two sides, Yuji is confident to play his role as a Jujutsu sorcerer against the threat of cursed spirits. Mahito desperately tries to flee as Yuji chases from behind like a wolf chasing the rabbit through the snow. Like, oh, dude, like, when this when this was going down for the first time, I was freaking screaming and chanting like, oh my god, man, I, I can't actually, like, the pages were on fire, like, full on, they were on, like, seriously, oh my god. Before Yuji can finish Mahito off, someone appears, Ghetto suddenly appears before Mahito, standing over him and looking down on his fellow special grade. Flashing away, at 10.36pm in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, which you know obviously is a big shout out to our boy Nanami and obviously this is like where they were going to escape to after if things went bad I think. Anyway, Mei Mei teased Wee Wee about sharing their bed until someone gave her a call back. She revealed to that person that she was nearly killed by Geto and had to escape using Wee Wee's technique. She advises them to sell all of their Japanese stock and Tokyo real estate immediately. Having also already exchanged her yen, Meimei expects a possible negative chain reaction could still affect other nearby developed nations. Japan's economy is the third largest in the world and could be in for a major decline. Around the same time, Panda located Kusakabe. Choso was continuing to have flashbacks of Yuji in his life alongside his brothers. After shedding a tear for his brothers, Choso decided he needed to move. Unsure of himself now, Choso needs to know what Yuji is. At 11.36pm, Ghetto asks Mahito if he is in need of saving. Yuji acts quickly, recognizing Ghetto's name and appearance. He demands Gojo back and rushes towards the curse user. Ghetto nonchalantly though, explains that people of the mid-Edo period spoke of a mysterious connection between catfish and earthquakes. At the same time, he summons a small catfish curse spirit that swims into the underground. Suddenly, a gigantic hole created by the curse appears underneath Yuji. The first year loses his balance and appears to fall into the hole. However, Yuji abruptly falls onto the ground as if the hole never even existed, completely dazing him. Ghetto asks if Yuji believed he had fallen and says from a side view it just looked like he suddenly flipped over. He explains the strengths of cursed spirit manipulation lies in the higher number of moves at the user's disposal. By wielding multiple cursed spirits of semi-grade 1 and higher, Ghetto can unleash different types of attacks every time his opponent adjusts. Ghetto demonstrates this using a curse that takes the form of a swarm of centipedes crawling out of a black webbing to ensnare Yuji. Then the catfish curse opens another hole at the same time, suspending Yuji in the air without any balance before stacking another centipede attack and smashing the sorcerer into the ground. As Yuji lays on his hands and knees, bloodied from the attack, Ghetto realizes that the first year had nothing to do with the events a year earlier. Instead, Yuji simply demands Satoru back and Ghetto laughs in response while admitting that Sukuna's vessel is tough. Mahito attempts to hit Ghetto from behind but his hand is easily avoided. The cursed spirit admits he knew Yuji was tough all along since he was born from humans. Ghetto then absorbs Mahito as the cursed spirit utters his final words. 
Standing before Yuji, holding Mahito sealed inside a black orb, Ghetto begins to explain maximum techniques. They are an innate technique's most powerful art outside of a domain expansion. Curse Spirit Manipulation Maximum Uzumaki combines the Curse Spirit in the user's possession to unleash a burst of super condensed cursed energy. Randomly, Ghetto begins to laugh. Yuji asks what's so funny and the cursed user replies that he accidentally started acting like Suguru. Continuing on about Uzumaki, he explains the technique is powerful but he initially believed it negated the great number of moves at the cursed manipulator's disposal. Ghetto admits he was wrong about Uzumaki because when semi-grade 1 and high curse spirits are utilized, their curse technique is extracted. Pretty much what he means is he's able to use any curse technique from a semi-grade 1 or higher and still use maximum meteor using all of the other curses that remain as well, plus probably some of the power from that curse I would imagine. But he won't lose like that ability of like idle transfiguration or like say any other ability that he might get in the past. Ghetto swallows the black orb containing Mahito, officially adding the special grade to his collection. While looking up, Ghetto tells Yuji it's foolish to think he wouldn't notice. Momo is floating above him on her broom, using a lantern as a signal for her allies to attack from long range. Kamo is the first to act, firing cursed energy-infused arrows at the enemy. Ghetto avoids the arrows, but immediately notices a speeding bullet coming directly at him. However, he simply blocks Mai's bullets with a curse. As Miwa joins the fight, she recalls her past and how she met her mentor in junior high, deciding to become a Jujutsu sorcerer despite having never even held a wooden sword. Miwa quickly slides in behind Ghetto and activates New Shadow Style while recalling her blistered and bloodied hands. Miwa puts everything into the swing. She's prepared to never even use a sword again and attacks with Bato Sword Drawing. However, Ghetto simply catches the blade with his bare hands and shatters it. Immediately after negating Miwa's attack, Ghetto activates Maximum Uzumaki. With the technique having been divulged, Yuji knows about Uzumaki's power and yells for the curse user to stop. Momo also looks down and moves to save Miwa, but sadly, Uzumaki destroys the ground with a blast of super condensed cursed energy, leaving a gaping hole in the ground from the impact. However, the technique didn't actually hit anyone, and Ghetto admits that it's nice facing someone with experience rather than these students. Kukosabe was able to use his new shadow style to cancel out part of the curse technique and protect Miwa. At the same time, Panda arrives to the battlefield and checks on Yuji. He's relieved to see that Yuji is back in control of his body. He asks if the cursed user has the cursed object holding Satoru Gojo. Kamo asks who the cursed user is, and Panda can only say that it's a mysterious person that has assumed the identity of Tsukuru Geto by controlling his body. Suddenly, our boy, the other brother, Choso, arrives on the battlefield surprising Yuji. Ghetto welcomes him, but our boy, in the middle of his like, I don't even know if you can call this a midlife crisis or curse crisis, you guys choose what one he completely is, he's a mix in my mind still, finally recognizes the curse user as one of his three parents. So yeah, this is kind of messed up right man, like, for real. There is uh, Choso's mother, the curse spirit, who got her pregnant, which is freaking weird man, and the man who tormented Choso's mother to create the cursed womb death paintings. Choso hated this person, and now that person is inhabiting Suguru's body. This thing is no one other than the most evilest sorcerer in history, the prolific Noritoshi Kamo. Obviously, this is kind of uh, confusing for those that are sitting there like, yo, wait, you say Noritoshi Kamo? That's that other dude. <laughs> like, it even, it even confuses the students here, so I don't blame you. Pretty much, this dude's just old ass, man. Like, just think of it. He's, oh, he's from the past. He's an old Kamo.
Udahime clears it up more that Chosu is referring to the stain of the Kamo clan. Kuzukabe believes that it makes sense for him to be someone with absurd barrier techniques, cursed objects, and the ability to switch bodies. Gedo claims that Noritoshi Kamo is just one of the many names he's gone by. So possibly the dude could have even been like far older than we even suspect at the moment because we don't know where he started, you know, where did the brain dude start from? Choso rushes at Noritoshi, however, Aruma abruptly cuts him off, sliding next to Ghetto and telling the bottom feeder to step aside. Rough. Arume tells Choso not to make them wait any longer, but Choso replies for the curse user to get out of his way and repeats that he's Yuji's older brother. So yeah, it's uh, finally explained here why he thinks that. A side effect of Choso's curse technique is that he can sense the transformation of his younger brothers through their blood connection. Just before finishing off Yuji in their fight earlier in Shibuya, Choso could feel the sensation of death coming from Yuji, just like he did with his other brothers. To Choso, this can only mean that Yuji is also his younger brother. By the way, I'm just calling Brain Dude, Brain Dude, or Brain, or Noritoshi until we know his name. I'm not going to call him Kamo. I'll just call Kamo Kamo, so it doesn't get confusing. But yeah, Noritoshi has extended his life from moving from host to host, making it possible that Yuji and Choso could share some sort of blood relation. In order to fulfill his duty as an older brother, Choso was ready to protect Yuji with all his strength. Choso activates blood manipulation convergence, surprising Kamo with how superior it is to his own. Choso fires piercing blood and it almost reaches Arume's face in the blink of an eye. The monk is surprised by the immense speed of piercing blood and barely manages to stop it. Ghetto sidesteps the attack while it drills a hole through one of his partner's cursed energy reinforced hands. Choso swings the stream of blood, sending the arrow back to slash at Naratoshi. This breaks up the ground and Choso uses the blood he placed there to disrupt Ghetto's footing. They then engage each other by trading blows in close quarters. Noritoshi is the first to land a significant strike and suggests Choso shouldn't strain himself after fighting so much earlier on. Choso doesn't believe being tired is any excuse to stop putting his life on the line to protect his younger brother. Confused, Panda asks if Yuji is really related to Choso. Yuji doesn't believe they were related at all and reveals how Choso had nearly even killed him earlier. Which is, you know, like, what the, what the fuck, man? Regardless of his relationship with Yuji, Noritoshi points out that Choso is creating a disturbance that they need to take advantage of. With two cores still going strong, Panda goes out in full gorilla mode while the others follow behind him. He activates his unblockable drumming beat, but suddenly Arume activates their innate technique, Ice Formation. Arume uses Frost Calm to release an icy mist that freezes Choso, Noritoshi, Panda, and Kusakabe. Ghetto asks them not to kill the sorcerers because he needs messengers, and Arume heals his hand using a reversed curse technique, discouraging Kusakabe, who considers these curse users to be on a whole other level. Choso activates Flowing Red Scale to rapidly increase his body's temperature and melt the ice. Arume appears in front of Choso, but Yuji, one of the only ones who wasn't frozen, drop kicks Choso out of the ice to save him from Arume. Annoyed, the monk asks, who does the vessel think that body belongs to? Yuji believes that he wasn't frozen due to Sukuna and asks Choso what side he's on. Choso denies he's fighting with the sorcerers and states once again he's Yuji's older brother. He even asks Yuji to try calling him big brother just once, which reminds me obviously of Toto so hard man. <laughs> Yuji ignores this because he notices Momo flying down towards the group on her broom. Momo uses her wind scythe to launch a blade of cursed energy from her broom at the two cursed users. Arume is able to block this attack with their bare hands, frustrating Momo. With Yuji, Momo, and Choso, the only one still mobile, the Kyoto student tells the other two that they need to buy time for Utahime. 
Dissatisfied with needing a messenger as a reason for keeping this many sorcerers alive, Arume activates ice formation. They claim Yuji alone will be enough and creates a steam of icicles that surrounds both cursed users and splits apart to freeze them. The flying ice bits attack and freeze Yuji, Choso, and Momo in place. A second wave of sharpened icicles attack them from above, pretty much cementing their deaths. Until a mysterious Shikigami suddenly appears to break the ice apart. The special grade sorcerer, Yuki, appears on the battlefield. She asks Gedo the same question again from all those years ago, inquiring as to what kind of girls he's into. So you know like if you're wondering who Toto's taught by, it's Yuki, it's this chick here, the special grade sorcerer Yuki, the third one that we haven't actually properly met. The two sorcerers clash philosophies regarding the future of humanity's relationship with cursed energy. Yuki believes humans need to break away from cursed energy, while Geto believes optimizing it will bring about their evolution. However, the world Geto pursues would be full of bloodshed because Japan has a virtual monopoly on cursed energy. Something like that would cause the other world powers to retaliate and use humans as an energy source. Geto doesn't care if the world ends up that way. He believes there is more to the human potential beyond sorcerers and cursed spirits. He attempted to create the death paintings to bring that potential into existence. However, Gedo has deemed that a failure and has since realized that anything he can create on his own does not exceed the bounds of his own personal potential. The answer he seeks is hidden within the darkness and only the chaos that Noritoshi can't even control can bring it forth. He reveals that he's already extracted the curse technique he needs to begin this process. Yuki has a realization and asks what happened to Mahito, prompting Yuji to reveal that Geto had just absorbed him. The curse user remotely activates idle transfiguration on every human he's marked. He thanks Yuji for bringing out Mahito's full potential because his cursed energy stopped improving the moment it was absorbed. The two types of non-sorcerers have been marked prior to the remote casting of idle transfiguration. The first type are non-sorcerers who are meant to stay as such but instead have awakened new cursed techniques, much like Junipei. The second are vessels that ingested cursed objects like Yuji. Ghetto's plan is to release a thousand malevolent sorcerers and get them to fight one another. Yuki doesn't believe a thousand rational people would fight one another to death, but Ghetto assures her he wouldn't make any oversights. Annoyed, Yuki asks Yuji to help her beat up the imposter. Yuji can't move though due to the ice holding him, but Choso's poisonous blood abruptly causes Arume to collapse down onto one knee and the ice suddenly starts melting. Before they move though, Ghetto declares the cursed objects he provided were created from the sorcerers he made vows with a millennia ago. However, those vows became null when he obtained Sugudu Ghetto's body. Yuki understands the implications of this just as Noritoshi announces that this is the world of the future. He shows the prison realm to his enemies and bids farewell to Yuji, claiming to expect a lot from him in the coming times. The young man calls out Gojo's name one last time and Geto or Noritoshi or Brain or whatever finally addresses Sukuna directly. He tells the King of Curses that an era reflecting the Heian era is coming and that the golden age of Jujutsu is returning. So, that officially brings us to the very end of what is Jujutsu Kaisen's Shibuya Incident Arc. And obviously, this freaking arc here is actually insane. The stuff that goes down throughout this arc, like the fights between Toji and Megami, and obviously Toji and Dagon, and the group there, and their, like individual fight against Dagon and then the stuff that happens with freaking Satoru at the beginning of the arc with him getting sealed is obviously like the main 
big thing with this arc, and then right at the end of it with freaking get su and then right at the end of it with freaking Sugaru Gedo finally announcing his plan to everyone, which is actually, you know, like coming to come to be, I guess you could say, as that is the result of what is going on right now in the culling game. So obviously I'm gonna move into those up and coming arcs in the next few videos because I definitely want to cover more of Jujutsu Kaisen. I am a little bit behind where the story currently is, but I'm kind of caught up. I kind of know what's going on at the moment. So I'm super excited to be able to actually cover that in this, you know, kind of video format that I've been doing. Obviously, if you guys did enjoy, you know, this kind of video and want to see more stuff just like it, where I go over other stories or other arts from different animes and mangas, then make sure you hit that subscribe button and also be sure to leave a like on the video. And if you want to see more stuff, you know, like this, but just a fraction of a time slightly earlier, then make sure to check out my Patreon down in the description below where you can get like, I guess, little tidbits and uh, updates occasionally of what I'm like kind of up to. And if you if you just want to like follow me and see what I'm up to more frequently and, you know, let's see all the manga that I buy and what I get up to on the weekends, then make sure you check out my Twitter, which I will leave obviously down in the description below as well or here somewhere on screen obviously i can't thank you all enough for the support that i've been getting with my chainsaw man video uh like the full story that i uploaded it's been exploding before the freaking trailer is even released which is actually mental to me i can't like i can't actually believe how many people have got into the series before the freaking trailers even come out or before the animes had like any solid trailer actually come out like we've only had that first one and it's not really like giving us too much of a look into what's actually there there's just a lot of explosions like ooh, ooh, ooh. and only if you've read the story you kind of know what's to come and what's about to ha like happen from those little scenes and so i'm super excited to see you know what this final trailer brings us and i'm pretty sure it's on the seventh so in like six or five days from now it'll be out but yeah anyway Obviously, enough of that. That's going to be old by the time this video's two months old. But yeah, anyway, I'll catch you all in a bit. For now, it's been your professional degenerate, Diavolo, and I'll see you later.